2: It is Friday, August thirtieth, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader studio on Racine Avenue. This is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, it's another Ramona Rundown with Sun Times editor Ramona Hussein. President-slash-CEO of Personal Pack Terry Cosgrove, returns, and its all-star Chicago political strategist, Delmarie Cobb. And now your host, <laughs> all-star sleeper,
1: <laughs> Chicago Reader Columns Ben Hello, everybody. Ben here. We're calling this kick. The Ball Friday. And here's why. Lots of kicking going around town these last few days, D. Starting with the... Chicago Bears.
3: Now, I know what you're going to
1: say, Dennis. He always gets mad at me when a little upset. Ben, don't talk sports. No, what I was going to say is you can uh,
2: consult me before the show and I can get you a drum roll. You don't have to do it yourself. I kind of
1: like my drum roll. Oh, huh? okay. Here we go. Listen, watch. <laughs> the Chicago Bears. Why do I say the Chicago Bears? All right. I'll get to politics. Just bear with me. No pun intended. Oh. Just bear with me as I relate one to the other. And I will do it very skillfully, very nimbly. All right. As sports fans know, the Chicago Bears have had a crisis of kicking ever since last year's playoff when a guy named Cody Parkey, forget the name, it doesn't matter anymore, non sports fans, uh, had a pivotal moment to kick a field goal with a, that would have propelled the Bears to the next round of the playoffs. And instead, bang, 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 bang. <laughs> <laughs> that's the sound. I, everybody goes doink doink, but I like the bang, 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 bang sound of the <laughs> ball hitting the pole. And he, he missed the field goal, the Bears lost. Bears fans everywhere just plunged into an existential crisis. Oh, woe is us! Our team can never win because we don't have a kicker. And so for the last what was it nine months, Bears been trying everybody out for kicking. In fact, I think Dr. D one day went out. Hey, here's yes, my, I did. Play football? Bang! Not that good. He's not that good, but he did okay. Anyway, the Bears been trying this kicker and that kicker. Last night, Eddie Pinero, uh was. Uh, he it's down to him. He's the last one. He had in the pre- the last preseason game. He had four kicks went three for four made three field goals but missed an extra point plunging sports writers into more gloom and doom today's papers are filled with articles by sports writers going oh my god what are we gonna do sports writers love it at moments like this d because they get gloomy and doomy, and it's like you know fans just drink it up as a writer you know nothing about gloom and doom no i that's (laughs) i know nothing about i never play that game not me (laughs) just the sports writers anyway So Bears fans are wondering, can Eddie Pinero do it? Do we have to go to the waivers to get a new kicker? Who could be kicking for the Bears? We need a kicker. We can't go into the season. The season starts on Thursday against the Packers on Thursday night. It'll be all, the whole country will be watching. Who will be kicking for us? Well, I have a suggestion. Based on another great kicking performance last night. Hey, Bears, you want to be really super cool? You want to get yourself a great kicker? You want some with a powerful leg? I have a suggestion her name is Lori Lightfoot? Oh yes, that Lori Lightfoot, mayor of the city of Chicago, the mayor who was in the Chicago Sun Times building today. She was going out as I was coming in. I missed her. She did not make it all the way back to the washrooms in the exit where our beloved little studio is. But she was here, getting grilled by the editorial board. Tommy mack to me was really grilling her today. So funny. We're all the way in the back by the bathrooms. Yeah, this is like, would really important people come to the Sun Times? They're not taking them to ours. St- uh, you, you don't want to go down that hallway i huh, like man? it it's our charm i like our little hall. we got a piano hey they don't have a piano in the editorial board where they uh did they have a piano where laurie lightfoot was grilled by tommy mcnamee no all right so we have a piano anyway so uh, Lori Lightfoot, uh, back to Lori Lightfoot and her kicking. Here's the deal, folks. Last night was the night when she made her great budget speech. I mean, not a budget speech. State of the city speech. I mean, not a state of the city speech. Uh, was it the first 100 days? Whatever the speech was, she kept changing the name of I can't keep up with all these changes of the name. Anyway, she had the great speech, which lasted for an hour. Wait, it wasn't an hour. It was 10 minutes. Wait, it wasn't 10 minutes. It was 23 minutes. They kept changing the length of the speech. You notice that, D? Anyway. All summer long, Lori led us to believe that t- yesterday night was the night when she would unveil all the secrets of how to solve all our many problems, uh, and our financial problems as a city. Which taxes would she raise? Which fees would she raise? Which fines would she raise? What would she come up with to magically make all our fiscal obligations obligations disappear? <laughs> Just like that that's the drum roll <laughs> we all awaited the entire city awaited well not everybody some some people were watching crooklyn at the time of the speech but forget that for a moment the whole, most of the city was packed into the harold washington library waiting to see what would Lori lightfoot say well not most of the city was packed in the library most of the movers and shakers of the city boom that's the sound of laurie lightfoot punting the ball yeah, i don't blame her she was like oh i don't know what to do I anything i do it's gonna someone's gonna get mad at me you know if i raise money uh p- property taxes property taxpayers will get mad at me if i raise fees on rich people rich people will get mad at me if i raise pe- money on rich people and then spend the money on pension obligations and other uh f- pressing matters uh, the the progressives like that guy ben will get mad at me I uh, can't raid the tiff money because that's sacrosanct that's my little play money so i don't know what i'm gonna do i know what i'll do boom i'll punt the ball the big moment of the speech came when she just said there'll be another speech how about that d we waited all summer to hear this speech and then last night she announced there'll be another speech we get to wait all the way to october for that speech i know she's not gonna she's gonna kick a field goal in that speech uh d she's not gonna punt all right (laughs) this means that she's got another what help me with the math d today's late august october she makes that speech two months she has two months to prepare uh what taxes what fines what fees she's going to come up with to meet all our pressing obligations she's going to have to come up with some folks and there's going to be budget hearings and you're going to get an opportunity to make your opinions known and the various columnists and pundits of the city will weigh in and the aldermen will weigh in and she'll figure something out maybe Okay. I can't th- believe she's going to punt again in October because sooner or later you got to pass some kind of budget. But for the moment, I'll say this. Hey, Bears, looking for a kicker? Give Lori Lightfoot a tryout. We got a great show today, everybody. Ramana Hussein, yes, that Ramana Hussein will be here in the studio at one thirty. Ramana, rundown every Friday in the Ben Jarowski show. I know she has a lot to say about Lori's speech and uh, some recommendations. And I'm gonna say a few things about Crooklyn. Okay, D, one of my favorite movies of all time, which I saw last night.
2: Well, I, I thought you would saw Police Academy last night because boy, those sound <laughs> effects! You're like that one cop. <laughs>
1: Uh, and uh, so Romano will be here at TC Terry Cosgrove personal pack man. We are going to pick apart. We're going to take a little break from the Lori Lightfoot budget discussion, folks, to talk about the utter fraud and hypocrisy of Republicans and how I hate to say it, what suckers and saps the do-gooders, good government crew Aww. is uh, when it comes to the fair map thing. We'll get to the bottom of all the legislative redistricting that goes on with TC Terry Cosgrove the Pride of Joy personal pack. And then at 2.30, we're bringing on the great Delmarie Cobb. No one knows politics in Chicago more than Delmarie Cobb, political strategist. She's been around almost as long as I have, D, which is a very long time. And uh, so that is a powerful lineup that I, I have to say, very few shows got a power lineup. Terry Cosgrove, Delmarie Cobb, D. They don't get smarter about politics than those two. So plenty of political... Eh, you know what? I may throw Delmarie Cobb a national political questioner. You. Has she decided who she's going to support? Or is she, like me, a flag in the wind? One day I'm feeling Kamala. Next day it's Bernie. Lately, since Brendan Johnson was on the show, I'm kind of that Elizabeth Warren thing going, huh? One thing I'm not feeling, Pete Buttigieg, that's for sure. Anyway, uh, I'm going to ask. I may ask her a Pete Buttigieg question or two. But anyway, lots of political talk ahead. But before we get to any of that, the man, the myth, the legend, who has been here since 7 in the morning, ladies and gentlemen, let's give him a huge round of applause. The doctor, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. And if you don't hear the end of the show, you know what they call him back in Alton, Illinois, ladies and gentlemen? They call him White Lightning. White Lightning got up this morning at like 4 or something. 5.30. I'm, 5.30, man. You know what I was doing at 5.30? Rolling over. There we go. I was hoping we'd
2: get one more sound effect out of you. But he was, whoops.
1: He was here at 7 <laughs> in the morning cutting up this, this stuff. he guy, man, hey, give him a raise, take it out of petty cash. The doctor with the news. All right. That was a one hell of an intro, Ben. <laughs> well, they you know what they call you back home in Alton, though, don't you? <laughs> They call the note.
2: they call me Dennis. <laughs>
1: White lightning.
2: Okay, let's unpack that speech from Lori Lightfoot last night.
4: We have some hard choices to make.
2: We have some hard choices to make. <laughs> yeah, all right? We're not
1: gonna make up tonight, that's for sure. Cause boom, punt. Sorry.
2: Alright, I have several clips from last night's speech. Ben, you watched it. Your overall thoughts.
1: Punt. That's my overall thought. It was a uh it was a moment where Lori Lightfoot uh She's just said, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do. So what I'm going to do is hold off a a major decision. And that's, uh, but I give her, you know what? I'm going to give her credit for one thing, Dee. Uh, She resisted the temptation uh, as the other guy, I can't remember his name now, who used to be our mayor. She resisted the temptation to go overboard, blaming her predecessor. So I'll give her credit for that.
2: We'll begin with the beginning of the speech. And hey, Lori, let it be known that last night was not a budget speech.
4: Tonight is not a budget speech where I would lay out in detail every expense and every source of revenue. That will come in October. Ah. Instead, tonight is an opportunity where we are to explain where we are today with a budget gap for next year, the steps we have taken to close that gap to date and ask for your help. We need to come together and find solutions to the tough problems that we face, and we need to do that now
1: yeah uh and uh, let's so let's just follow the bouncing ball at one point the budget deficit was estimated by the way this is just the city budget i should add it doesn't include the school budget which is 7.7 billion dollars or something i think that's what the school budget is so just so you know folks this is just one aspect of the budget it's it's the city budget and uh it doesn't include the TIF program which is about the 800 and something million dollars a year so just just Keep in mind, this is just one aspect. Uh, anyway, so the budget deficit has been going up and down. At one point, it was like five hundred million. Then Mayor Rahm said it was seven hundred million, and then Lori Lightfoot's people estimated it was one billion. And then last night she came up with a number of eight hundred thirty-eight million, and she said it's down from one billion because of all the great uh, fiduciary wheeling and dealing they did, which they may have done. Who knows? Uh, I, I remember Mayor Rahm would magically make millions of dollars of deficit just disappear thanks to his budget genius, and I remember Mayor Daly did the same same thing too isn't it funny d every new mayor comes in as a f- fiduciary wizard i oh, just moved this here to moved that there and 100 million's gone nobody really knows D. you know what i'm saying nobody really knows what the numbers are anyway so they, they they've settled on 838 uh million dollars with an m
2: so not a budget speech all right that's in october Get it right. Now she let it be known that they did walk into a deficit. Now this is the time where they kind of threw some, or she threw some jabs to uh, the previous mayor. You know, a few jabs. We
4: walked into a staggeringly large deficit for next year. And what was worse, we were not left with any credible plan on how to fix this massive problem. If we followed the old playbook, we could have tried to muscle through another historically large property tax increase relied on a massive borrowing scheme, shortchange pensions, or some measure of all of the above. I fundamentally rejected all of those approaches.
1: I got news for you. Before all said and done, one or all of those approaches will be used. Guarantee it'll be borrowing money. Uh they'll be punting on pensions. And what was the third one? Uh raising property taxes. Probably already raised property taxes in your school to be- don't forget there's the school budget. But whatever. Uh and like I said, she didn't mention ROMs. She didn't spend too much time trashing him, but she did uh stick that little dig in there about you know, uh, the old days they did it XYZ, but if we have a new day. Rob was always talking about a new day, too. Isn't that interesting? We always have these new days in Chicago with budgets, and yet it always seems like the same old day. Anyway. So she didn't use the
2: previous mayor's strategies. So what they did instead?
4: So what we did instead was rolled up our sleeves and got to work to address this fiscal crisis. We focused on creating a foundational shift in the way that the city not only balances its budget, but also in the way in which we looked to the future. First by in the short term creating structural efficiencies in the way we spend your tax dollars. Laying the foundation for a strategy that shifts the focus to investing in our people, our neighborhoods, and not just in our central business district. We are working to create a real growth strategy that deals everyone in, regardless of neighborhood or zip code.
1: All right, uh, some words. That's what I've said, a little fuzziness there, uh, structural efficiencies. That's, again, Mayor Rahm would do the same thing. Mayor Daley would do the same thing. They, they would pretend as though uh, like, they had the best accountants in the world. The, their accountants were better than the other accountants, and somehow or other they were figuring out which way to invest the money or handle the money, and we were saving money, and so you could bring down the deficit, or if necessary, you could then redo it and go, uh-oh, it's higher than we expected. So it's you know, quite sure really what's going on things are moving really fast but rest assured our accountants are better than their
4: accountants but in just over a hundred days in just over a hundred days we have not solved every problem but we have laid a foundation on which we can build a better fairer, and more prosperous chicago for all And let me share some of the things we have done so far. I vowed to you during the campaign that I would be a better fiduciary of your tax dollars and we are well on our way. First, we started the process of bringing integrity back to government. You know that on my first day in office, I signed an executive order ending the practice known as Aldermanic Prerogative. Next, we passed one of the most comprehensive ethics reform packages in recent memory. These included placing restrictions on outside employment, expanding oversight to ensure every elected official plays by the same rules, increasing fines for ethics violations, and limiting the influence of lobbyists in City Hall. How does government reform and integrity relate to city finances? Well, if you don't have a government that you trust, one that has legitimacy. We cannot move forward together, making the tough but necessary decisions that will transform our future. A government that you can trust because we operate transparently is a core tenet of our democracy. These reforms that we have made are a critical component of showing you, not just saying it, but showing you, we heard you, and we will be better fiscal stewards of your hard-earned tax dollars. All
1: right. I agree with her in the most general principle. I, I, I agree with her that... Uh, Well, first of all, let me start by this. There is no direct connection between automatic prerogative and uh, the city's fiscal problems. None. However, there is the... the notion that if if Chicago's government is corrupt, if Chicago's government is all a bunch of behind the the, the scenes wheeling and dealing uh, and which is sort of covered over with lies that our officials put out, which is essentially what ha- Chicago government has been for the last, I don't know, 20, 30 years, uh, ever since Harold Washington died. Uh, if you if we believe that, then you can't believe they're going to fairly and wisely and astutely spend the tax dollars we send them. So I I do agree with her on that basic point D. However, Aldermanic prerogative, I've been saying this from the get-go, is a scapegoat created by uh, Lori and her aides and a basically the good government community, the city of Chicago, to knock down uh, in order to have an easy target. So it has nothing to do directly with the city's budget problems. Most of those aldermen, okay, the notion of aldermen and prerogatives is is that aldermen have too much power. I got news for you folks. Most of the aldermen were like Republican congressmen in Washington. They just followed the leader wherever he went. And so uh, that meant following Richard daily on every budget he proposed, and Rahm Emanuel with every budget he proposed. So the notion that somehow aldermen have too much power, and that's the reason why uh, the city is facing a financial crisis, I do not think is true.
2: And aside from ethics reform?
4: Aside from ethics reform, we have also started combing the city budget and contracts for efficiencies and savings. Here's where we are so far. We have taken important steps to professionalize the $100 million a year workers' compensation program. That program had been under the control of a single alderman who is now under federal indictment. There was zero transparency in that program. An independent audit found that well over 600 claims were open for over a decade without any resolution. And even though the city had paid almost $300 million towards these open claims, and the program was ripe for fraud, waste, and abuse, just by professionalizing that program, we expect to reap significant savings.
1: I give her an A on this point. Uh, I've been giving her an A in this point for uh, ever since uh, she took office. She went right after Ed Burke. Ed Burke is the alderman she was alluding to, the powerful alderman of the 14th Ward on the southwest side of Chicago, who was the chairman of the Finance Committee for all these years during the Daly and Rahm uh, administrations. And uh, while he was running a property tax business, on one hand, uh, he was shepherding through all the contracts and uh, all the budgets to the city council for approval. On the other hand, uh, he was taking advantage of his power and his influence to get tax breaks for his clients, some of whom were also uh, contractors with the city of Chicago. So it was corrupt. Uh, it, uh, uh, it it fed that general notion that Lori was talking about that you can't trust anything our government officials do. I would uh, point out that the citizens of Chicago have consistently elected not only Ed Burke, but mayors who allowed him to have that power, but put that to a side for the moment, uh, Lori Lightfoot took on Ed Burke very early on and I give her credit for that. And so kudos to you, Lori Lightfoot, I give you an A in that.
2: One of the things Lori Lightfoot is most proud of as mayor.
4: One of the things that I am most proud of as mayor is our unequivocal support of immigrant and refugee communities. Now why do I reference this important work in a speech about municipal finance? Because our growth strategy has to include continuing the reality of Chicago as a welcoming city. Contrary to the xenophobic rhetoric, immigrants contribute to our economy in significant ways. They always have. And
2: what did she know before?
4: What I knew before. And what has been reinforced over these last months is that we need to build additional supports for low income and working families because poverty is constantly knocking on their doors. Lifting people up and out of the grip of poverty will not only close the wealth gap with all of its terrible consequences and expand the pipeline of workers, but will close life expectancy and health gaps that rob people of their ability to fulfill their God-given potential. This is both a moral and fiscal imperative. Thus, our pathways to fiscal health have to run through households and neighborhoods like Roseland and Rogers Park, Austin and Inglewood, from the Southeast and the Southwest, and neighborhoods like Pullman and Park Manor. We must lead with public investment, along with private partnerships, to catalyze neighborhoods where generational poverty has people in its cr- crushing grip
1: all right i'm going to take the two points uh that she raised here. the first point where she starts talking about immigration uh why do i raise this in a budget speech uh and then she had her explanation uh and i would say d it was a very political uh reason why she did it and it just to remind everybody that she Lori lightfoot is not donald trump all right, she's getting, Lori Lightfoot's been getting blasted a lot by progressives around town, so it's very important in this speech, which is supposedly about the budget, that she just let everybody know that she is not Donald Trump. So he was the unmentioned person in that speech, and that little aside, and I don't blame her for doing that. Uh, she's been taking a shellacking from progressives, some of whom have come right here on this show, and some will probably, I think we got Carlos next week, right, uh, D. Alderman, Carlos Ramirez Rose, I'm sure he'll have a thing or two to say about Lori Lightfoot, but it's very important for her to establish in the speech that she is not Donald Trump all right, on, at least on immigration. And uh, in terms of the notion that the city has to be one city as opposed to a, a really um, wealthy downtown, this is a theme that Mayor Rahm would articulate all the time in a budget speech while he pursued policies that fed the overwhelming majority of our investment into a few a handful of gentrifying neighborhoods in and around the loop. So it's still way too early to see if Lori is going to break from that old economic development policy of concentration. Trading on a handful of neighborhoods, she didn't really address that in a specific way. Uh, and we, uh, I wrote about this uh, in uh, today's column about the Lincoln Yards TIF deal. So it's uh, way too early to see if Lori's going to make a real break from Rom uh, on the uh, investment strategies.
2: But they have taken other additional steps, Ben. Our initial steps,
4: other initial steps towards creating a thriving economy for all. This includes the passage of the Fair Work Week legislation. Through the leadership of Alderman Susan Sedlowski Garza, and with the support of business groups, we passed legislation championed for years by organized labor that will give thousands of workers predictable schedules, which means predictable cash flow, and that makes for better, more loyal employees and stronger families. We took meaning...
1: Gotta give her credit for that one, D. Gotta give it her an A for that one. Uh, the Fair Work Week legislation, we talked a lot about on the show. And by the way, it was no joke when she mentioned Alderwoman uh, Susan Setlowski Garza. Susan sedlowski Garza, uh, good friend of the show, been on the show many times from the southeast side of the city of Chicago. Uh, comes from a. Uh, w- her father is one of the great labor leaders of the 60s and 70s. And uh, Lori Lightfoot knew what she was doing when she put Sue Garza out there because so many progressives were allies of Sue Garza, including 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 the Chicago Teachers Union, have been hammering Lori. And that was Lori's way of saying, oh, yeah, well, my ally is Sue Sadlowski-Garza. So take that, Chicago Teachers Union, the games politicians play.
2: When she started as mayor on May
4: 20th. When I started as mayor on May 20th, we walked into a projected deficit for next year of $1 billion yes that's billion with a b as a result of the efforts we've made to date and changes in our forecasting that number has decreased by almost 200 million dollars but that still means that the budget gap for 2020 is 838 million dollars and if 838 million dollars sounds like it's big it's because it is but hey let her be clear Let me be clear, I don't see the provision of pensions or city workers as the problem. The key problem is a decades-long failure to meet our pension obligations and fix the structural problems that have led to this crisis. Now, there are limits to what any mayor can do alone to generate revenue. We have and will continue to explore every reasonable option. And reasonable, to me, means relieving the financial burden on those least able to afford it and not driving business out of Chicago. As your mayor, I cannot in good faith promise you that I will take any option off the table to tackle this crisis, whether it's through budget reductions or by raising revenue.
1: All right, whether it's through budget reductions or raising revenue, cuts, or new taxes, and that, I suppose, is what she's going to unveil in October, D, all right? Don't forget the big October speech. I thought this was where she's going to unveil the
4: cuts and the tax Come signs. October, uh, I'll address those challenges further in my budget speech. There you go, all right? Come October, all right? But what Lori Lightfoot can tell you... But what I can tell you is that I will work tirelessly to ensure whatever options we take will be made with transparency and with working folks in mind. We are committed to a graduated real estate transfer tax. This will bring relief to homeowners whose houses sell for under $500,000 while owners with higher valued homes will pay more of their fair share. We are uh, committed to addressing homelessness and housing instability and putting real resources towards these problems. We are exploring options to address rampant congestion that solves the problem of traffic, pollution, and other issues while simultaneously bringing in a fair share of funding. And we are working to develop a policy to stand up a robust cannabis industry, Ah. one that will not only generate revenue for the city, but creates new business and job opportunities for black and brown people who have been the victims of the war on drugs and who, to date, have been mostly excluded from legitimate medical and recreational markets as entrepreneurs.
1: Mm, The
2: crowd loved that one. And what else are they pursuing?
4: Let me be clear. We are pursuing a Chicago casino that creates a dedicated revenue stream to pay for our pension costs. If we get the tax structure right, this will represent a structural solution to address long-term problems, not a one-time fix. Not only that, it will also create thousands of jobs, help fund the state's capital plan, and stop the flow of over $200 million in gaming revenue to Indiana. As an independent study made clear, Chicago and Springfield will need to work together to get the tax structure right in, over, in order to move this plan forward. Getting it right represents a win for both the city and our state, and there's no reason why we can't arrive at a solution but we have to be honest with ourselves if such an agreement isn't made if we don't secure this casino and the revenue that it creates we will then be forced to make painful choices on finding other revenue sources and we all know what those are the sources we desperately wish to avoid
1: yes uh you got one more clip to play before we three
4: more so where do we go from here So where do we go from here? As challenging as our finances are, the truth is Chicago is not alone. It's a story being played out across our state. Cities and towns in every corner of Illinois are grappling with rising pension costs. Just like Chicago, they've sold their assets in order to make their pension contributions, only to find that their pensions are still poorly funded. And just like Chicago, many of these towns have been downgraded by rating agencies because their pension burdens are so severe. This increases the cost of borrowing. Just like Chicago has historically done, they've turned to raising property taxes. I want to avoid that measure as much as possible, but if we don't get the structural changes that our pensions need, we will be presented with very hard and limited options. Solving our shared pension problems will require the entire state to come together. People in this state know, as I do, that I-80 is not a border. There cannot be a Chicago versus the rest of the state. All of Illinois. Now, as she said on Inauguration Day. As I said on Inauguration Day, we should never settle for dividing up a shrinking pie or pitting one part of the city against another. Yes, some of our solutions will be hard. Yes, they may involve putting ourselves at risk. And if that means that I sacrifice myself politically, so be it in pursuit of the right thing. And friends, we don't have a moment to lose. Friends, we don't have a moment to lose. Chicago is and must remain the economic engine of our state and the entire Midwest. Our challenges are great, but our ability to solve them is even greater if we work together. It's only by working together as a city and a state that we can become what we need to be. To build and grow better together for a brighter future, now. Now is the time. Together, let's seize this moment to do the right thing, to chart a new course, and to put our city on a stronger path once and for all. Thank you, and God bless you, and God bless the great city of Chicago. And there
1: it was, Lori
2: Lightfoot's State of the City Address.
1: All right. Very good, D. God bless the great city of Chicago. A lot to unpack there at the end there, particularly with that pension talk. Look, obviously, what she's saying is she's going to need some help from the uh, governor, some help from the state on that one. And uh, we're all going to be in it together, asking the state to bail out our pension plan. It'll be interesting to see if that goes anywhere uh, in Springfield. Uh, Ramana Hussein is sitting here. We're going to bring her on to talk about Lori's speech and other things on Ramana's mind when we return.
2: attention Chicago innovators and creators 2019 Chicago Ideas Week is coming soon. October 12th through the 17th, this annual Ideas Festival is back and it's the largest, most affordable Ideas Festival of its kind. They bring in hundreds of thought leaders from around the globe and some local to share ideas and spark action all across Chicago. To get a better idea of what to expect, here's a bit of audio from last year's Chicago Ideas Week with special guest and Chicago comedian Cameron Esposito.
4: Everything that I have ever tried to do has had two motivations. One is I really do believe in trying to create social change and then the other one is I'm scared and alone too so I would like for you to join me. You know every job that I have I try to make sure to hold the door open that's like my uh, motto for for um, like if I get through you're coming with me and I really I believe in that wholeheartedly and uh, especially if I have more privilege than you like I'm holding the door open for you um, even wider.
2: October 12th to the 17th it's 2019 Chicago Ideas Week. Tickets go on Sale to members on August 22nd and to general public September 10th. Once again, if you're an innovator or creator in the city of Chicago or even outside the city, you must join us for Chicago Ideas Week, October 12th through the 17th. For tickets and event information, head to Chicagoideas.com. That's Chicagoideas.com. And we hope to see you October 12th through the 17th for 2019 Chicago Ideas Week.
4: This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine.
1: Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Live from the Chicago Sun Times, Ramana Hussein is with us. Uh, Ramana comes ev- to our show every Friday, Ramana rundown, and it was pretty exciting today, Ramana, in the Sun Times building because Mayor Lori Lightfoot made an appearance here as she's going from one editorial board to the other yep. to pat herself on the back for doing a great job <laughs> as our mayor. Uh, so, uh, did you get a, have any uh, Lori moments? By the way, did you see?
5: I, her? I actually, you know, she's been here before. But I did not cross paths with her, but I knew she was already here because I was running late and, and I was walking in front of the building and I saw like three people with like, you know, her security team was outside. So I'm like, oh, Lori Lightfoot's here. And I bumped into a freelance photographer who was looking for our, our photo editor. And then I was like, I don't know. where. But then everybody's like, oh, he's in the back room. So I, I figured it started already and people kind of scrambling or she was already there and she was waiting. And I know all the, the political reporters who were here. Went out and and by the way, you know, Fran Spielman's off on vacation, so Tina Sfondellis and Rachel Hinton. Did the heavy lifting on the speech yesterday and today.
1: Well, let's give a shout out to Mark Brown. He wrote a very good column today, and
5: he's in he's in Barcelona right now. Just (laughs) to let you know, he wrote that from Barcelona. I don't know where he wrote it from, but Uh I don't know if he wrote it before he went to Barcelona. But it was mentioned at the um, editorial board meeting yesterday. (laughs) They're like, Mark's in Barcelona, so Lori Lightfoot's the last thing on his mind. So I know that, but no, he's he's great. He did a
1: great job, and uh, Dave Roder did a great job setting up the speech. Mm -hmm. So it was all hands on deck because France. Happened to to be on vacation uh, when Lori made the speech uh, in the most general way. What was your uh, response to the speech?
5: I'm not a political junkie like you, so I can just tell you I leave at six o'clock every day. And on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I'm trying to make an exercise class. So I know everybody was all getting ready for the Lori uh, speech. And I was like, I got to get out of here. But I, I read about it um, this morning. And from what I understand, she really didn't say much. So I wasn't miss, missing much from what I was told and what I read from our our two reporters, Rachel Hinton and Tina Svandellas, and I know I joked with you. Mm -hmm. I think Fran Spielman knew this was going to happen. So that's why she took off this week because she's like, well, nothing's going to happen. And I saw our lead in the story that said the main takeaway from her speech was that there was hard choices ahead and that there's an $838 million deficit. So that kind of made me laugh. And it was a 26-minute speech. and. From what I read from our reporters, that was the biggest takeaway: that there's going to yeah. be hard choices. And you know, she touched upon. I know you guys played um, her audio. She touched upon things, generalities. I think that's what it made made it sound like. Yeah, hard so,
1: choices ahead. Here. Hard choices
5: ahead, and a graduated income. Uh, income tax right or property tax
1: well what she's talking about with that is and that was a point when when, when she uh, when Dennis played that clip that was a little misleading Uh, what she's talking about there's a proposal that she needs state approval for uh, that would follow me on this Uh, put a transfer tax on the sale of property real expensive property over a million dollars and so so if you sold your condominium let's say and your condominium sold for $200,000 this would not affect you if you sold your mansion for $2 million, it would affect you, okay? so that, I don't that, have a mansion. No, I'm saying Yeah, you I know, I know general, I'm joking. Uh, I'm saying I wish I uh, did. Yeah, but yeah. Do, you, do you guys have a condominium? We have a condo. a condo. Okay, so uh, if someone sells a condo uh, for 200000 you don't pay the tax. If someone sells a mansion for uh, $2 million, you pay the tax, and she's saying that's progressive, but it doesn't really give relief on property tax uh, to people, the general property tax, because that particular transfer tax would be very limited limited and would probably be swept up and gobbled up immediately. So it's not really as progressive as she was saying.
5: No, no. And you know, she did stress that I'm not going to, you know, the burden's not going to be felt on people who are underprivileged. I think she stressed that did she, I, I, from what I understand, she stressed that. Yeah,
1: she stressed that. Uh, couldn't, I'll be talking more about that with Delmarie Cobb. That's okay. Yeah, but uh, it, that was all of her attempt to sort of undercut the criticism she's getting uh, from progressives mm-hmm. on that front. But I think you you summed it up very well. Tough choices to come. In other words, the punt as i put it boom She punted off until october like i said the bears should consider her uh for their field goal kicker because she's, she's got a powerful leg she's gonna
5: have community meetings correct yes before? i would be attending them yeah but that's kind of confusing <laughs> like wouldn't you want to put out your ideas your Concrete ideas and have people, or what's the purpose of having the meetings? Well, and let me. don't okay. she wants people to come up with ideas? Yes. Is that
1: so? Here's here's how Mayor Daly did it. The great Mayor Daly. What he would say is, "Here's my general budget, but I got to hear before I really put it and carve it in stone. I want to hear what you, the little people, have to say." So he would have three hearings around the city uh, at this roughly this time every year, yeah. in August September, and he would listen to the little people, and they would tell him things like, "I got a pothole on my street," and they would go <laughs> fill the pothole all right and then he would say i've listened to the little people here's my budget uh so that's sort of what Lori lightfoot i'm gonna listen to you the little people and then i'm gonna fill in the the blanks so um it's it's,
5: so are you saying it's like the who
1: song uh (laughs) meet meet the old (laughs) boss same as the new boss isn't that the line yeah no, I would no, not. No, I know. Say, I, I know. You know what? <laughs> I always, I always give Lori for credit for this. She is not Rom a man. But
5: you know what? You can't write on that
1: forever. No, not forever. And, and sure.
5: that you know, I know it's very early, but that just can't be. Oh, I'm just doing things differently than Rom. That's the way I see it, and I've always seen it like that. You've I don't think always you can. Make...
1: Had a bit of a. No, I don't. I'm a not. I'm bit not. Of a sympathy for oh, Rob.
5: Just a I touch. Just, well, I just think. I think he's fairly criticized. I'm okay with that, but it's like there's some people who are just going to hate Rom because he's Rom. And I'm just saying like you have to be a little more critical and and it's like, okay, they're just going to like someone because they're not Rom. And I don't think it's... I don't think things are that simple. Yeah. That's all I'm saying.
1: Well, um, I'm going to quote uh, the great Mick Dumkey to you. Uh, and, <laughs> yeah, I uh, know who- Mick Dumkey, of course, is Romana's husband and uh, my uh, longtime friend and, and collaborator at the First Tuesday Show and at the Reader. But Mick always pointed out in 2011, uh, when I was really having <laughs> uh, reservations about who, I had no idea who to vote for for mayor. Mm-hmm. And I would sometimes say, you know, I would sometimes uh, say things. Uh, Embarrassingly close to, I don't know. You know, th- th- whoever we get, it's not going to be any better than daily. You know, yeah. I, I wouldn't literally say that, but things close yeah. to that Mick would say, you need a break. You got to have somebody new. You have to have somebody, of different. course. And so that's kind of how I feel about Rom as well.
5: But yeah, but you do realize that. I when Daly was in office, when he first started in office, I was only eighteen years old. <laughs> you always love. To I'm just saying, me that. and then no, and then I was just like, it was like thirty years later. He was still mayor. Yeah, he I was know. mayor for most of my life, yeah. and so uh, yes. Rom. I mean, just to be fair, Rom is ha, wasn't in office as that long. I know he's. I know why he was not popular. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I'm just saying, there's some people who definitely. It's like. I'm not saying all his ideas were good, but even if he made sense, there's some people who are just going to criticize whatever he had to say. And, uh, and he should be criticized, uh, yeah. I think. But I think all leaders should be criticized. Yeah. I don't think you're just going to be like, oh, I, I mean, I love this person because they're not wrong.
1: Well, I, I got I to tell think... you this. Uh, I, I got a, a funny little message on my Facebook uh, wall from a diehard Lori hater, okay? someone <laughs> yeah. who already hates Lori immensely. And I, I posted a column I wrote about TIFs that that just came out and how Lori has uh, abandoned uh, any pretense of TIF reform, at least in regards to Lincoln Yards. And the person wrote something along the lines of, you and the Sun-Times helped elect her, so shut up. (laughs) Okay, well, you can't argue with that. Uh, You know, but I don't know how much. uh, And I I do think, you know,
5: I even told you like the hundred days, I think that's too little time to tell whether or not someone's going to be a good mayor or a bad mayor or just kind of I think it takes time but I'm just saying that you have to be ready to be critical too and not just give someone a pass just because they're not ROM that's all, all that's right. all I fair mean. enough so just
1: because she's not ROM you hear that Lori <laughs> but I still give her an A that's the first when I think about the first hundred days just 100 days yeah, my first hundred days I give her an A for not being ROM okay <laughs> yeah, I, of course I, I, I'm not ROM that, either I don't so. think that I give you an A for that every day uh, but I think that course ends if you view that if you view these grades as related to a course mm-hmm. the not being ROM course is only something you could take for one semester yeah all right how about that it's
5: It's a basic class, entry-level class.
1: Entry-level class. It's like 101 biology. That's what weeded out all the guys who said they went to college wanting to be doctors. All right. uh, Let's get on uh, uh, to our next topic. Uh, It wouldn't be a Ramada rundown without some kind of criminal justice uh, updates. uh, And there's so much to choose from in the city of Chicago. What are you going to...
5: Yeah. We've had a few... um, Court updates this week, at least at 26 and Cal, Um, we had a lot of like little things, but um, there was something in federal court where uh, I don't know if you saw that R. Kelly's lawyer filed a petition saying that he doesn't want to be in solitary confinement anymore, I believe. And he said that his celebrity status is being used to punish him. And you know the lawyer talked about how Steve Greenberg, his criminal um, attorney, talked about how you know he has a li- you know can't read, so you know it's very difficult to get you know to get things to him to talk to him. So that was like the latest. That was like a it was it's it's not a huge thing, but obviously with R. Kelly, it's a big deal. Anything that happens with the case, it's kind of like Jesse Smollett. Everybody's interested. Uh, I just edited a story right before I came in. Do you remember the Taishan Lee case? It was a very very sad case involving a nine-year-old boy who was shot he was lured off um I, I i forgot where he i don't know if he was playing he was playing in a playground and he these guys asked him if he wanted to play basketball they lured him or get candy and i forgot what the exact scenario was but i remember covering the case when it happened and this happened in 2015 and he was lured um and then he was shot
1: in an alley yeah
5: was, cool. and he he was only nine years old as i mentioned and his father was purportedly in a rival gang and that rival gang had shot, um, the mother was injured, and the brother of one of the, the three suspects was, was basically, um, brother, the brother was killed, and the mother was injured. And so this was revenge. And uh, right now, just um, about a few minutes ago, I just posted a story about how the alleged gunman of Taishan Lee wants to represent himself in court when the trial starts in two weeks and he actually actually asked to represent himself on monday and the judge said no but then he the judge seemed like he reconsidered and changed his mind and this guy's going to represent himself he's like if this is what you want you're going to represent yourself yourself
1: what's your general thought of, i mean first of all just before we get to the general thought about uh, people defendants representing themselves <coughs> this this uh, murder was one of those Oh, oh, how do I uh, put this, Ramon? There's a lot of murders. There's a lot of shooting in the city of Chicago. But then there's some murders yeah. that are just so shocking that you you really have to just stop and think. Oh, mm-hmm. where are we going as a society? Yeah, and the the revenge killing of a Mm nine-year-old was and luring him into the alley with the candy or
5: basketball or you want to play basketball basketball. or I think that's what it was was but I, I I know I think I if I remember correctly I don't know I could be wrong but um if memory jogs me right I think one of them said oh you want to get some candy from the store or something before I don't know but I do remember basketball was involved and this is a really really heartbreaking story and I remember the dad of the victim. You know he was very young too so yeah. it was just a sad story altogether
1: I, think. I was time.
5: covering it i was at uh, i was at criminal courts when it happened so when i saw the name i was like i i remember the, this guy but so he so this guy's going to represent himself in, it in, happens and at, at court I, I think what a lot of people don't get is that does happen i'm not saying it happens with frequency but it's not it's not super rare but it is rare um I don't know. Some, some individuals that read, you know, and, and, you know, the judges tell them this one case just a couple of weeks ago, there was this um, homeless guy who had uh, mental issues, who was charged in a, a killing of a Chicago police officer. This happened, this trial happened a couple of weeks ago and he represented himself. And I don't know, he was actually pretty good, but his closing arguments were really rambling. And the judge actually told him before he was representing himself that, you know, you can't say, you can't appeal this case on saying that you had bad counsel. So, you know, and and I've seen, I've seen, (laughs) wow (laughs) I've seen, I've seen judges tell, I've seen judges tell individuals over and over again, like, are you sure you want to do this? You know, we can provide an assistant public defender for you and this would be your best bet. So I, I've seen judges sway Sway, you know, a lot of suspects, like on telling them, do you really want to do this? Especially if it's before a jury. Yeah. So that case was before a jury, and and in that case, um, I got him forgetting the guy's name, but he wasn't the alleged gunman. He was uh, the man who pointed out this police officer as a he was actually pointing out the wrong person as a group of men that were tussling with his friends. Yeah. So that was um, that happened a couple of weeks ago. So it's interesting when high profile cases when people do want to represent
1: themselves. What a by the way, what a moment of chutzpah. Chutzpah is generally defined as someone who kills uh, his parent or her parents, his or her parents, and then pleads to the judge for mercy on the grounds that he or she is an orphan. That's usually the definition of chutzpah. But how about that? Where you did. Uh, d- make this determination that you will defend yourself in court. And then when you lose, you appeal (laughs) on the basis that you had a lousy lawyer. I'm like, it was your decision to hire yourself in the first place. Yeah.
5: So the, I know that in the case, the last case I just did it with a, with the cop killer or the guy who was charged in the cop murder. Um, the judge did say you can't appeal this and say you had an effect, ineffectual counsel. Yeah, so.
1: that would make sense. And this, uh, for a moment, let's go back to what uh, your days as a criminal trial uh, reporter. Uh, how difficult is that? I can't imagine. I know I've asked you this before, Romana, but I just, how difficult is it when when you have a case like a Tashaun Lee's case, and you have the parents in court, and you have relatives of the defendants in court. Uh, your job is to interview them. is mm-hmm. that correct? Yeah. So how do you approach like the parent of somebody whose uh, child has just been killed? You
5: do. I mean, you kind of learn how to do it. I remember the first time when I had to do that, call someone whose child was killed. It was the hardest thing for me to do. I was like shaking. But now it's kind of become second nature. I mean, the main thing you have to do is to be polite. And, you know, you're a human being, too. At the end of the day, you don't want to be rude. Um, I don't, you know, I'm not... I don't like, you know, being just sticking, you know, standing in front of them, sticking, you know, putting my face in front of them. You have to be like with at 26 and Cal, it's a very sensitive subject. So usually like if we were covering the same case, me and the Tribune reporter, we'd try to go up to that person together because it wasn't like a story one person had over the other. So we would just be like, Hey, you know, we're, with the press we'd quietly ask them and say you know are there's an are there any thoughts you have anything you know anything you want to say about you know the victim or if it was a suspect would say anything you want to say about you know your child or and so you know people sometimes were were receptive a lot of these individuals are coming from communities that are pretty much ignored And they do want to get their stories out there. So nine out of 10 times people would talk to you.
1: You know, it's just listening to you, uh, what you described there, that makes sense. Where, you know, generally reporters are sort of adversaries or competitors looking for the scoop. But in a case like this, you say, all right, we're all going to be. Uh, responsible adults and try to minimize the, yeah. the the pain that this person has to go through. Have you ever had a moment when a reporter betrayed you? I don't We we really have names. <laughs> I don't want to say. When they went back and started talking to a person, got quotes and stuff that they.
5: No, we I usually keep an eye on them and it's usually, it was always me and the Tribune that was there. So we do like always keep an eye on each other. Sometimes if I wouldn't see the Tribune reporter, like at their desk and I knew there's, I didn't know of any cases that were happening. I'm like, I would literally go through every courtroom from second floor to the seventh floor and look for that person to see where they were sometimes they'd be working on the story completely unrelated but and they would do the same thing but you know you know there are cases that were really high profile where tv cameras would come in and that's when judges would clamp down on you know they would say that there's a gag order so for something like the case involving jennifer hudson's relatives the judges told me, they're like, we trust you guys, but we don't trust the other people. And so they had put all these rules and, you know, like we had rules where our phones had to be silent and off. And nobody betrayed us, but they were, like, we would, I would have to, we were both the media coordinators for a case like that, and we'd have to tell everyone, shut your phone off, shut your phone off, or put it on silent. And then, of course, like, within five minutes of when a trial started, somebody's phone went off. I won't say who it is, but it was someone from Fox. Uh, And I remember, and I remember, I remember the judge would call me, and it was Jason Meisner who covers uh, the federal courts now for the Tribune, like, we were the media coordinators for that case, and the judge called us, like, during our lunch hour, he's like, tell someone and so I knew it was his phone and then like five minutes later another tv reporter phone went off and it was a recording of the the 911 call in the Hudson case and we're just like and it was another tv reporter and so the judge like at one point we all had our phones taken away and it was the third time uh, I think of uh of reporter it was a producer and I actually like this person a lot she was a producer for one of the TV local TV stations and something her audio thing started going off and it started saying Balfour Balfour and William Balfour was the guy convicted in these murders and she said I really didn't touch it I don't know what happened so we all had our phones taken away for that day so like there are there are times where when it becomes like a media circus um yeah you have to be careful and you know i'm not blaming tv reporters but they have a different animal i mean their their main thing is audio so they have to actually when they're getting visuals they have to they put um the camera you know now now cameras are allowed in the courtroom yeah. in certain cases but usually the cameramen and the photographers have to stay in a certain area so it's very tricky you have to find that person you have to tell the photographers who de- who they're looking for and sometimes you know they get the wrong person we're
1: like no that's not the person you're supposed to get so when you say media coordinator what's that mean
5: that's for high profile cases the judges tell um you know usually it's a tribune in the sun times they say that you guys are the media coordinators and you have to make sure everybody has their phones off and
1: you have to police the media I had
5: to police the media yeah I told I remember telling this one specific reporter make sure and and I think that the reporter said something like are you gonna frisk me now or something and then I'm like he was joking but I was like no I just kind of rolled my eyes and then like five minutes later his phone goes off in that case so it's like it's like oh so then me and uh me and jason meisner would have to like tell her you know to go and argue in front of the judge and you know sometimes we actually had to um represent the media in one situation where we had to ask for the 911 tapes or something so we had to actually pretend we we're lawyers and tell the prosecutors why so what to stand in front of the judge and mean the the reporter from the Tribune had to talk in a high profile. These happens in high, in high profile profile cases. cases. Yeah. But first
1: time I ever met you is uh, for what it's worth, Jennifer Hudson case. Uh, Mm -hmm. I was uh, at the court on another matter and I remember you walking in. It was for, I think it was one of the opening. Yeah. I mean, it was really early on. Uh, Yeah. It was probably
5: when the case started um, and you know, the doors closed for those. So like the media is told, like, I have to tell them, like, if you're not in, you have to get in. Yeah. And so, you know, we had to tell, kind of give everybody a briefing. They had that for Jason Van Dyke too. They had coordinators. and
1: uh, But before we get to your other uh, Ramana recommendations, I get to talk about my recommendation. Uh, do you believe that R. Kelly really cannot read
5: I think he might have a learning disability. Yeah. I think he can read a little. He writes songs. <laughs> but maybe he p- does an audio. I don't, I don't know. You know, he might have difficulty. Maybe he has a 3rd grade reading level and it's hard for him to read certain things. Mm. But it it's possible, right? I know a lot of people say that's an excuse. That's what I've heard.
1: I, I don't know. I've, I but every time I read that in the paper, I'm like mm,
5: Because yeah. did you watch did you watch um The R. Kelly Lifetime
1: series. No, I I, uh, avoided that one. Yeah.
5: His ex-wife was on it and she said that was one of the things that she found endearing about him when she first met him is like because he wanted help Mm. on like reading or it was something like his learning
1: disability. And she thought that was sweet. Um, so. Well, anyway, I never really believed it. All right, let's <laughs> okay. move on to Romano's recommendation. I'll start with uh, my recommendation. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, last night, while the whole rest of the city was watching. Uh, <laughs> I'm surprised Spitz. you don't watch it. No, I watched it. You I watched watch it on it, okay. tape uh, because I had pr- already had tickets at the Black Harvest Film Festival, which okay. everybody who listens to my show knows I'm always promoting. Cool. Uh, Sergio Mims is a regular guest in the show. He's the director there. And uh, they, they culminated the month-long festival at the Gene Siskel Theater with a special 25-year anniversary. Uh, showing of the Spike Lee movie, Crooklyn. Mm-hmm. And I, I've seen Crooklyn maybe three times before this, including when it first opened. Uh, and then I've seen it, um, I've rented it. It's one of my favorite movies, it's definitely in the top 10 uh, for so many uh, reasons uh, having to do with the era that the, it's the 1970s in Brooklyn, New York. And the music is the music I grew up listening. So obviously nostalgic reasons. Yeah. Uh, but it was so great. Yeah. <laughs> seeing i just like i love that movie so freaking much and they had zelda harris was there who is 30 no. something years old back in crooklyn uh in she the, was the little girl she's the little girl oh wow she killed it in that when you I watch loved, her again I, I, loved, I, know.
5: I, I love that movie i know a lot of people who love spike lee they're just like eh. it's like one of his lesser known works but i remember watching it and i loved it well, and I, my niece is 25, by the way, so that's why I was like, oh yeah, I think it came out it when, came she, out was when she was born. It came out when she was born
1: 1994. I urge absolutely everyone to, to watch it. If you don't like it, oh, tough, but uh, I loved it. It was a great movie.
5: I was born in the early 70s, so like even... Even though I was really little, like the songs, like I remember when they were watching the Partridge Family, yes. I was just like, oh. it's a
1: great scene!"
5: <laughs> and then uh, the remember when she goes to visit her cousin, yes. her, her rich cousin. Yes. So her rich cousin had the same. My parents bought the house, like in the there my the house that I grew up in in the seventies, and the family that was in there they had two boys and one girl, and they still had the old furniture. But I inherited the furniture, so I had the same furniture set that the rich girl.
1: Okay, time out. That's rich in quotes because it's the it's. Uh, well,
5: they were supposed to be more,
1: um, more upper class, it, yes, not
5: upper class, but they just had more money. Yeah, they they had yeah. more
1: money. These are people who lived in the suburbs of Washington, I think it is, uh, and uh, or in Virginia somewhere. Uh, so yeah, it's more suburban lifestyle, but they're it's not rich like you know Jeffrey. Epstein yeah, yeah, not rich. filthy. Yeah, but yeah. you know, it was
5: a totally, completely different environment yes. than the environment that this young girl was being right. raised in. We you know her parents were kind of struggling with money, I remember. But I remember going, when she went to go live with her um, that's a, that's a relatives, yeah. and the furniture. I had the same furniture as the rich girl. Yes. <laughs> so I was like, oh, look, there's my furniture. So a lot of the 70s stuff, even though it was really little, I, it kind of resonated with me. And I just like the fact that this movie was about this little girl from the eyes of a little girl who's being raised with all her brothers and from her point of view.
1: So that's my recommendation. Uh, you can rent it. Uh, you can... Watch watch the old stream at crooklyn uh i know it's 25 years ago but great flick and your recommendation? i don't know
5: i don't know if i have any recommendations but i'll tell you what i'm gonna watch next okay. uh, i'm gonna watch uh the third season of glow have you
1: watched Glow? i at watched all? the first show of glow is that the one about the yeah, gorgeous ladies wrest- yeah. of wrestling the wrestling <laughs> one yeah i only got through I, the first show i saw
5: the first two seasons and uh-huh. i got mick to watch it too he first was skeptical but then he read a review and he said oh he said it was really good i'm like yeah i told you that
1: a week ago (laughs) i told you but anyway
5: um he i heard the third season isn't that good but i still want to watch it and give it another chance and i don't know if you heard but britney runs a marathon yes that film is getting a lot of positive reviews i don't know i I may i may check that out um and what did you think about Blinded by the Light? Two
1: thumbs way up. Blinded by the Light, I saw it. I didn't love it as much as Mick did. I only saw it <laughs> no, once. He, we uh, both thought it was cheesy but fun. Uh cheesy but fun. But they, but nonetheless he saw it a second time. I love that. I didn't even put cheesy in there. Man, I like a movie. I like a movie. It was if a I little, it, was, if it like had some sappy
5: mo- moments, but it was definitely it was fun.
1: Uh, I loved that movie. I loved it when the Bruce Springsteen were playing the um Well anyway, that's the uh, no that's, spoilers. Oh wait, no spoiler <laughs> alert. Anyway, blinded no by the mind. Line. Uh but I urge everyone see Crooklyn and and uh, Romana Hussein, thank you so much for being here. Terry Cosgrove, yes, the man, the myth, the legend, TC they call him, is here. Got his big boy pants on. Do you have yours on? Oh, uh, well, I got my big boy shorts on. Does oh. that count? <laughs> I don't think so, pal. <laughs> oh, Terry Cosgrove's ready to take prisoners, no names, whatever. We got TC on. Thank you so much, Romano. We'll thank be you. right back after this. Today's Ben Jaromsky
2: show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Discover the breadth and majesty of Chicago's architecture on a Chicago Architecture Center bus tour. From bungalows to Bauhaus, our expert docents will share the fascinating stories behind our city's architecture. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a bus tour right now. Oh, my, look at that wonderful piece of architecture. Get a special discount for Illinois residents from July 15th to August 15th. All Illinois residents get 50% off select walking tours.
1: Visit architecture.org slash il resident. Hey, everybody. What you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. And Listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind, but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to JeffmanuelPianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you people J E F F M as in Mary, A N as in Nancy, U E L P I A N I S T.com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel.
2: to you know be celebrating about the state um, that helps you when you're trying to get things done like you know having a the best state fair ever um, as you heard we broke records not just in the grandstand revenue uh, but also in terms of uh, attendance here at the fair I noticed even the buttercow has a construction hard hat on this year <laughs> uh, what? all right everybody Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Friday August 30th this is just moments away our guest, Terry Cosgrove, is figuring out the headphones. They, they look good, buddy. Nice. Uh, but before we get into that, we'd like to thank the following unions once again for jumping on board and bringing back the Ben Jarofsky Show. First up, it's the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. A giant thank you once again to those unions for jumping on board and bringing back the Ben Jarofsky Show. And, of course, today's show is brought to you by our good friends, at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two. Let's go. Thank goodness it is Friday, August 30th. And live from the Chicago Suntime, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue. This is the Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, all-star Chicago political strategist Delmarie Cobb will join us. And right now in our studio, president and CEO of Personal Pack, Terry Cosgrove. Now your host, my favorite intro joke out of all, president and CEO of nothing,
1: (laughs) Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Terry Cosgrove sitting right across the table from me. He's got his big boy pants on, and that is an allusion, of course, to what he used to tell me back in the day. Ben, put your big pants on and vote for J.B. Pritzker. I didn't listen to him. He's As he likes to mention a few times, I voted for somebody else in the primary. No one's perfect. No one's perfect. Not even me. Anyway, uh, before we bring Terry on, you got an update for me, young man?
2: Absolutely, I do. Two updates here. Number one, now, uh, Lori's speech was last night, the State of the City Address, but if you've yet to watch it. You can get a good uh, warm-up, a pre-speech uh, article, by reading Ben's latest Chicago Reader article. It's titled, Lori's Gettysburg Address. It's at thechicagoreader.com right now. Ben, tell everybody about that article. I'll uncle.
1: just tell you this. I predicted what she would say in the speech, and I got it right. Oh, Let's my. leave it at that. All right. And uh, she ducked to dodge a little bit. Uh, that was sort of the point of the article. So I urge everybody to read that article. But not now, because we got Terry Cosgrove in the studio. There
2: you go. That's what I like to hear. All right. And... And uh, our other update here, by the way, yeah, go check that out, uh, chicagoreader.com. I'll post it on the Facebook page later, the latest article from Ben. Now, we learned something yesterday, and I'm going to get Terry's take on this as well. Governor J.B. Pritzker suffered a hairline fracture to his left leg. We talked about this yesterday. His office confirmed this on Thursday afternoon. The injury will not require surgery, like we said, but doctor's orders will keep the state's top executive from making a trip to Japan.
1: Oh, oh, I didn't, I didn't realize, realize it that. That yeah. kept them from Japan. Yeah. I thought it was related to that butter cow thing. Oh, you're talking about the 2019 State Fair Butter Cow? It's the butter cow,
3: which has nine hearts to represent the nine essential nutrients in milk. That's right. It's made entirely out of butter. And, it, you know, it's a State Fair tradition since at least 1922. Yeah, it 19-22. has nothing to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> nothing to do with that. Terry Cosgrove, you were at the State Fair this year, were you not? Uh i was at the democratic county chair's brunch prior to the state fair I, I was there last year though and i have to say it was the first time i've ever been to a state fair did you see and the perhaps cow? the last okay. <laughs> and, <I already laughs> and no 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 on a very personal note i do not like heat and humidity i can't wait for fall to come in winter and Wow. It, last year, it was like 98 degrees and humid. Yeah. It was, um, but I did have fun because there were a bunch of Bruce Rauner hecklers that were along the route that we were walking to the big tent. And I said, don't worry, when JB is elected, your, um, your wage will go up because he's going to raise the minimum wage and you people will get paid a decent wage. And, that, wait, they were heckling on behalf of Bruce Yeah, Rauner? they had pictures. Yeah. They had pictures of JB and they had, you know, have all, you know, they had, fake toilets and stuff yeah. like that and you there know, were they probably were, employees of bruce ronner which oh, meant yeah, they, they were, were getting less than minimum wage because oh. he's so cheap oh sorry i didn't mean right, right. no no so uh, we shouldn't waste time on yeah, that but, that's not but right. that was waste the enjoyable time. part um, of the fair um, but otherwise it was great to be with a lot of people who were i met a lot of people i hadn't met before that i'd know names that i'd known for years so that was the big uh, that was the nice part of it. All right. Now I've already promoted the part of the show that I really want to take the deep dive with you on. And that has
1: to do with the quote unquote trifecta. We'll get into that. And the games the Republicans play when it comes to the whole issue of fair maps, we'll get into that. Cause uh, Terry and I may not have been eye to eye on who to vote for in the democratic primary for governor in 2018, but we're definitely eye to eye on fair maps. What a scam anyway. Um, but before we do that, just uh,
3: talk a little bit about, uh, personal packs fundraiser is coming up. Right, right. September 23rd uh, we have our 26th annual fundraiser annual awards luncheon and Cecile Richards is the featured speaker and I assume most of your listeners know who she is. She's the former president CEO of Planned Parenthood and was there during the first um, period of the Trump administration when Planned Parenthood was under a started to be under attack by the Trump administration. Now she's leading uh, a group to organize women to vote more in the 2020 elections. And we are honoring uh, U.S. Representative Jan Schakowsky, who happens to be my congressperson, uh, for her um, lifetime of pro-choice leadership. And we're also honoring uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot. And finally, one of my heroes, uh, which is Hope Clinic in Granite City, Illinois, and they are just— a few miles on the Illinois side of the six one eight of, of the Missouri border six one eight. Thank you very much. And um, they provide uh, abortion care to uh, women not just in Southern Illinois but from Missouri, from Kentucky, and they have already seen several in the, this first part of the year have already seen seven several thousand women from Missouri who have. Who were forced to come across the border? Because, as you probably know, there's only one remaining uh, facility, and Dr. Erin King is the medical director at Hope Clinic, and her husband happens to be the medical director at St. Louis Planned Parenthood, which is the remaining clinic. So, we're honoring Hope Clinic. Uh, Dr. Erin King is going to be at the luncheon to accept the award, and I swear they are on the front lines. I have gone down there. Um, twice in my 30 years at personal PAC just to do an update with them on politics. And it is unbelievable. I, um, I get there early in the morning before they open uh, to talk to the staff. And it's unbelievable to pull into the parking lot and see people sleeping in their cars who drove nine and 10 hours from the western end of Missouri to get there mm. and who have don't have enough money to stay in a hotel. So they arrive at three and four in the morning and sleep in their cars and wait for the, for Hope Clinic to open. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're just heroes of mine for being there. You know, they're not in a major metropolitan area. They're in a small town and they get so much abuse from uh, the anti-choicers and they, and they just keep going and providing service and providing care to women that need it uh, from all over the, uh, that area of the country. Uh, I've been neg- negligent. I assume most
1: people know what personal PAC is because Terry's been on our show many times, but just so everybody knows, it's uh, the largest uh, reproductive rights p- uh, PAC in the state of Illinois. And as such, uh, Terry Cosgrove has like a laser like focus on electing uh, representatives, uh, senators, governors, congressmen aldermen even uh who are dedicated to this cause uh so that's what personal pack is all about and cecile richards will be their uh, keynote speaker for 10 trivia points yeah, you. Uh,
3: here we go. For 10 tree reports, young Terry Cosgrove. Oh, young, I like that. That's the best part <laughs> of that sentence. <laughs> who is Cecile Richards' mother? Oh, Ann Richards. Oh, my God. I, I'm kidding. I, I, well, I just threw it thought, out there. I, I just <laughs> wanted our <laughs> listeners to know. You mean yeah. when she gave her speech about uh, what year was the, the speech? He, he was born with a silver spoon. Uh, that silver was at shoot. the Democratic National Convention,
1: and Ann Richards was the former governor of Texas, but this was before, before she was governor. <laughs> Uh, before your favorite, George W. Bush. Just kidding. He's not really his favorite. Uh, George W. Bush defeated Ann Richards. And I want to say 1994, I want to say. Because he won in 94. And then he won. Did, am I correct in that one? You know, I was going to say. 92? 92. All right. Yeah. Whatever. 1992 19- a 92 convention. 1988. It. I wasn't right. it that Ann Richards made that keynote speech where right. she ripped George Herbert Walker Bush. Right. And he said, quote, he can't help it. He was born with a silver spoon. Well, in his yeah, mouth yeah yeah pretty clever lady yeah. anyway ann richards uh the late great ann richards all right let's move on to the uh what you call the trifecta explain to folks what that is
3: yeah um i you know there's a lot of talk in uh in the state and this morning uh, right-wing state representative peter breen is uh is hooking up with a right-wing group to try to uh force the right- wing Republicans to help draw the uh, 177 legislative districts that are going to be redrawn after the 2020 election, as well as our congressional districts and you know there's a move in 22 Republican states to have their districts drawn to maximize uh, Republican power um some people call it gerrymandering and that that's fine. Well, here in Illinois, where our state is controlled, we're one of the states. Our trifecta is a blue trifecta. So there's 22 states that are that have a completely dominated by Republicans, which means their Senate, their House, and their governors are all Republicans. There are only 14 states where that is true on the Democratic side. Illinois happens to be one of those. So what the people who are pushing this uh, Republican involvement in the mapping process in Illinois are basically saying is that we should throw up the white flag, let these 22 Republican states, including Michigan, which Ben, I think, is going to talk about what's going on there, is They're all going to draw maps that are going to are going to put right wing Republicans in Congress and they want to draw a map in Illinois that will basically cut out Sean Caston and Lauren Underwood and Betsy Longren if she wins uh, in 2020. So we're supposed to throw up the white flag and and go along with this uh, so-called fair map idea those three yeah. uh congress people that are uh, terry alluded to are
1: in quote unquote swing districts right. uh where if you redistrict them those
3: they're all democrats that he mentioned they could be uh, redistricted out of political existence right go ahead and i think progressives and i know i have a very specific interest because i work in the area of reproductive rights but what we need the Illinois General Assembly to do is for the Democratic member, well, the whole General Assembly. But we need a Democratic. Matri- there is not a single moderate Republican left in the Illinois General Assembly. I want to underline every single Republican senator, and we're a, we're a bipartisan organization. So I'm coming this to this from a bipartisan standpoint. But not a single Republican state representative, Republican senator, is pro-choice. They are all right wingers. So we don't what what we need, what the women of Illinois need, what progressives in the state of Illinois need is for the Democrats of the Illinois General Assembly to draw that map and for Governor Pritzker to sign it. Mm -hmm. And so that between now and 2032, because Roe is going to be gone, that Illinois can remain to be a state in the Midwest when all the other states around us are making abortion illegal or closing down every single clinic to make sure that the women of Illinois have their reproductive rights uh, safeguarded between now and 2032, because this map that will be drawn after the 2020 election will be in force until 2032, mm-hmm. uh, which is the next decade, and um, and we just have to have that happen, and we cannot throw out the white flag, and we have to protect Illinois. Well, we have- this
1: is one of the reasons why Terry Cosgrove would always tell me to put my big boy pants yeah. on and vote for uh, J.B. Pritzker, though I didn't follow his advice, but anyway, uh, the point being, this is why the Rauner... Whatever,
3: but are you unhappy with... No, I'm not unhappy at all. In fact, okay. we
1: I just have to tell you this. You'll get a kick out of this. We had as a guest at our show, uh, Brandon Johnson, who is a Cook County Board Commissioner yeah. from the western side of, west right. side of Chicago and western suburbs, and a CT, Chicago Teachers Union member. And he was pointing out, he's one of the leading progressives in the city of Chicago, and they don't get more progressive than Brandon Johnson, right. okay? And so he's got his issues with Lori Lightfoot, all right? So I'm not asking you to step in the middle yeah. of that one, no, but he said... It was Brandon was the one that came on the show. He goes, I can't believe how progressive J.B. Pritzker has been across the board. So I got no problem with J.B. Pritzker at the moment, all right? So let's put, you okay. were right, I was wrong. How many times am <laughs> I going to say <laughs> no, that?
3: No. <laughs> Dang, man. You're the one bringing it up. <laughs> right. I never bring it up. Uh, uh,
1: but I, the point is, one of the reasons- Making wh- you honest, wh- man, One all. of the reasons why it was so important for Democrats to elect a governor is because the, the bizarre system we have in the state of Illinois for redistricting is that if we have any kind of division- uh, like a de- uh, the, it, so if the uh, if you have a Republican governor, he can veto the map as drawn by the Democrats, and then ultimately would come out of picking a hat, picking a name out of a hat uh, as to who ultimately would prevail. But if you have the trifecta, if the Democrats control the governor, the House, and the Senate, the Democrats are going to control the map. Now, a lot of people, my good government friends out there, oh Ben. <laughs> That's so unfair. What we should have. Well, which one of your friends is that? <laughs> what am I?
2: Who's that an impression oh, of? I don't know. I keep I, I him I, honest I, too, I, Terry. I, yeah.
1: got, I got a name there, but I'll leave it alone. Ben, you're too partisan. We should it's, be bipartisan. I'm like, when Republicans play fair, I will play fair. I will sign on to your little fair map thing when Republicans play fair. But Republicans do not. Play fair, Terry Cosgrove. You and I know, know that. that. Well,
3: this, you know, to me, this is absolutely no different than the argument I've gotten into people about Citizens United and money and politics. It, 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 and it seems like every single time I come on the show or I speak anywhere, I have to say the same thing. And your listeners are probably tired of it. You're probably tired of it. But I cannot go into a knife fight with a leg, at, a leg in a cast, <laughs> an arm tied behind my back with a toothpick, and expect to win. It isn't going to happen. So this. Is is th- this is another version of that yeah. if when the we can't we have to play on a fair playing field and if there are going to be 22 states that are going to draw maps that are going to favor republicans and these 14 democratic states are say, you know what we're not going to do that we're just gonna <laughs> we're, we're, we're we're not going to play on the same field the fair field yeah. and we're going to wonder why we lose well we're going to lose the majority in the in the Congress, right. and uh, and we're going to lose the majority in the in the uh, and I don't mean we being Democrats; I mean we me being just progressives because there are, are no good Republicans left. Yeah. Uh, it's ridiculous it's it's such a straw argument so i'm all in favor of fair mass, but it has to be in 50 states yes. i think that that is the that that is that's the bottom line on this when it's uh, and i will say this to all my good government friends when there is a fair map in all 50 states sign me up i will be a co-chair of that committee but until then we we have to fight Fair on a fair playing field. I'll go one step further, though. I'm a little tougher than you.
1: Yeah. I will sign on to the wow. quote-unquote, I know, I will sign on to quote-unquote fair maps, <laughs> in quotes, uh, when my Republican brothers and sisters sign on uh, to eradicating the Electoral College. Right, okay. okay? I mean, okay. That, that you talk about a system
3: yeah. that's set up to guarantee yeah. uh,
1: that Republicans win and Democrats lose. All right, let's put electoral- and I
3: And I want to put another point on this go. that I think gets lost in all of it. When Bruce, when your friend Bruce Browner was going. <laughs> I
2: knew doing there. <laughs> I know you're going to go no, there.
3: No, no, this is, <laughs> okay. this is a critical point on, on yeah. this exact discussion. He sent a bill to the Illinois General Assembly for fair mass. Yes, and sir. you know what's excluded from it? All of the voting rights provisions. So we have to understand. In fact, I want you to have um, some people of color on your show. And other people to talk about this because what this fair map um, provision did in the rounder bill that they wanted voted on it it gave no consideration whatsoever to um, minority voting rights to the Voting Rights Act or anything. So it, this is this is another. Um, level of voter suppression and are diminishing the impact of people of colors voting rights in the state of Illinois and across the country. And if if people don't know that the voting rights in this country are under attack, then you're not paying attention. Right. And wh- and we're not going to go along with it. Yes. I mean, the bottom line is we need to stand up to the attacks that are going on on people on people of color and on the voting rights in this state in this country and say no, not on our watch. And that's why it's important that the map be drawn by President Cullerton's caucus, Speaker Madigan's caucus, and J.B. is involved with it. Just say it. To respect... Democrats. No, but to respect voting rights. That's the other piece of this. All right. Now, let's
1: talk about... And I'm going to get into what I really want to get into, the utter hypocrisy of the Republican Party on this issue, and I'm going to raise the question of Michigan. Uh, In the state of Michigan, our friends to the north and the east for all those geographically challenged people. Did I get it right, by the way? Yes, north <laughs> and east. Uh, the state of Michigan had a referendum, I think it was in 2018, where they voted over 60% to set up a fair map commission. In other words, they were tired of gerrymandering because the gerrymandering in, those, in, in the state of Michigan, ladies and gentlemen, is done by Republicans. Uh, and they set up a situation where even though most of the people in the state were voting, were voting Democrat, the Republicans controlled that both houses of the state. So the people of Michigan, the good voters of Michigan decided, no, Uh -uh. We're going to get rid of that old gerrymandering way, and we're going to have a a fair map commission that's going to draw the map fair and equitably, and we're probably going to have more Democrats as a result of that, okay? Or more moderate Republicans could go either way. Mm -hmm. Uh, Less Trump heads running in the state of Illinois. So what did the Republican Party do? The same Republican Party that here in the state of Illinois is saying, oh, we really want a fair map. What did the Republicans in Michigan do? They got in Scott Walker, the former governor of Wisconsin, to f- who's got booted out of his, his office like thank, thank you cheeseheads they got scott walker to uh file a lawsuit a federal lawsuit <laughs> didn't mean to insult any cheeseheads in the studio uh, <laughs> uh to file a federal lawsuit challenging that uh, fair map commission on the grounds that somehow or other it's unconstitutional lord knows how it's unconstitutional you can find a lawyer to say absolutely anything so i'm not even gonna waste my time talking about the silly flim flam argument that lawyer came up with the point is terry on one hand in the state of illinois you got your boy peter breen getting ready to file a suit saying we need a fair map commission because it's so unfair when the democrats and then you got peter breen's ally scott walker in michigan where they Passed by referendum a fair map commission going to court saying it's unconstitutional. Nothing is more hypocritical
3: than that, my friend. Right. And the other thing is they are trying to cut uh, Governor Evers in Wisconsin out of the uh, the duly elected Democratic governor. The Republicans in Wisconsin are trying to cut him out of the map making where it could be a compromise between the democratic governor and Republican legislature. Let's come up with a map and what are the Republicans doing? They're cutting the governor of Wisconsin out of the process. And you said, um, Peter Breen is filing a lawsuit. Actually, what he's doing is he's putting together an organization funded by massive right-wing money. And for people that don't know, Peter Breen is one of the most reactionary, anti-choice, anti-LGBTQ state legislators to ever sit in the Illinois General Assembly. He was defeated in the 2018 election. Now he's amassing all this right-wing money to put a ballot measure on the November 2020 ballot uh, that... Will um, will try to get fair maps to amend the Illinois constitution. Yeah. That's it's a constitutional amendment. So we have to watch out for that and make sure. I don't it's think defeated. It, it, you're saying that he's hoping to get it by uh, what date did you 2020? say? 2020 he's got to get 360,000 signatures. And then he's
1: got And then he's, yeah. <laughs> this is going to be so funny coming yeah. out for me. And then he's got to survive uh, Michael Madigan's election lawyer. Cause you know, that baby's going to be challenged. Oh, all yeah. the well, as
3: it should be, he needs 360 valid signatures. That's what the law says. That's what the law says. That's what the law says. And you know, uh, and, it's a uh, tough law. Yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, But it, but you know what? It, amending the Constitution is supposed to be an upward climb. It's not supposed to be easy. Uh, so or it's, maybe he can it, get the And votes. that's what's fair because it applies to everyone, including Peter Breen. Yeah, so, yeah, so yeah. it's the games Republicans play. It's hard to take at face
1: value It is. Value and anytime. the
3: hypocrisy, Ben, all, all, across the board on so many issues. I mean, this is just another – this is totally about – you know, uh, amassing power to push through their right wing agenda, starting with Trump, Moscow, Mitch, um, all the way down, uh, down the ballot, everywhere you turn, it's the exact same thing. And I'll say same one more thing. thing. Uh, this show, uh, is sponsored by unions.
1: I'm a huge union supporter. I want to say to all my union brothers, and sisters out there, uh, they pull these stunts and the runners of the world and the Breens of the world and the Scott walkers of the world, they're coming for unions. Oh yeah. And so Absolutely. they'll use anything they can to get the power they need. Uh, And then they'll uh, impose laws that undercut the ability of unions to organize,
3: uh, take away your uh, uh, collective bargaining rights. So it goes far beyond. Yeah. And I want to put a pitch in for my union brothers and sisters. We have the 40-hour work week. We have Social Security. We have child labor laws. uh, We have so many workplace uh, protections that all of us have benefited from. The workplace protections, the safety in our food, uh, water, all of those protections are brought about by workplace safety provisions that are brought to us by unions. So everyone in this country, in this world benefits, not to mention fair wages uh, from the activities of union members. So on this Labor Day, I just want to hats off. Thank you. Thank our brothers and sisters in the labor union for labor days. Uh, and they're under massive attack uh, by Trump and the right wing, uh, just in the same way reproductive rights is under attack, same way LGBTQ rights, uh, people of color, poor people. It's it's the same source. It's the same ideology. Um, uh, absolutely. Well, well said, Terry. All right. Let's get uh, let's get down to some
1: uh, local races. I know there's a local race of great concern to you talk about it.
3: Yes. Uh, state representative Yahiel Kalish, uh, represents the 16th, uh, house district, which is Skokie, Lincolnwood, Morton Grove, Nile, part of Niles and, uh, and the 50th Ward of Chicago. And he promised publicly and privately and to everyone that he would vote for the reproductive health act. Um, and the morning of the vote, um, he did not vote for it. Mm-hmm. So, um, the constitu- The constituents in his district are furious with him, and there is a woman by the by the name of Denise Wang Stoneback that is challenging him in the Democratic twenty twenty primary. And everyone listening that's <laughs> to the show that's from the Sixteenth House District from those communities, please go online, sign up uh, Denise for state rep, and uh, and get involved with this campaign. It is really critical that we send a. Very, very serious message to any legislator that promises to vote for something like the Reproductive Health Act and then turns around. And he lied to everyone. He told me, he told Planned Parenthood, he told the ACLU, he stood up in the Democratic caucus. When Lou Lang, he's an appointed state rep, uh, state representative Lou Lang, um, appointed who is also the Democratic committee person for for Niles Township, appointed him to the seat. And one of the things he promised Lou Lang when he got appointed, that he would vote for this bill. So he lied to absolutely everyone. In addition, um, he was carrying a bill that would have not allowed um, people to bring concealed weapons into houses of worship, such as temples, mosques, and churches. And when the NRA came to him, he refused to call his own bill. He buried it, uh, so he's just—he can't be trusted. He lies to everyone. He doesn't stand up with what the this district is about. It's about uh, gun safety. It's about choice. It's about fairness, equality. And he's the wrong state representative for this district. And we really have to get rid of him in the March 17th, 2020 primary. So everyone in Skokie, Lincolnwood, Morton Grove, the 50th Ward, uh, let's do this. That's your old neck of the woods, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I grew up up in Morton Grove. I went to high school at Niles West in Skokie and... Edison Grammar School in Skokie and Lincoln Junior High, all in Skokie. So, this is my Niles West
1: Day. I don't know right. if you know this, but Ramana Hussein, who preceded you on the show, is also an illustrious
3: graduate really? of Niles West. Yes, right. and you know who else? The most illustrious graduate of Niles West, which is actually I was in high school with him at the same time. Was Merrick Garland? Mer- well, I was just going to say yeah. Merrick Garland.
1: I don't know. There was a football player. Uh, I think Jim Ray Hart. I don't know. If that, I know you're not a huge sports fan, but I would argue that he is the most illustrious graduate of Niles oh, West. Okay. I'm putting. My my money on a tie between Romano Hussein and Terry Cosgrove. Those are the most <laughs> no, illustrious no. graduates of Niles West. Well, I, Forget I think,
3: Merrick Garland, I think
1: Merrick Garland, a federal judge who almost got on this. Almost record with, by speaking, with, which come on, let's just take a moment <laughs> to talk about the. Utter hypocrisy yeah, I mean, hey, all ben, my fair map good I government know. friends
3: out there. I know, Ben, if we had all if we were here between now and Tuesday, we could not cover all the hypocrisy. Unbelievable. Just, it is it is so it's so raw. It's so it's just visible. Out it, there. It, it, it just it just stands there like a burning bush or something and, 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 and no that was the one where Mitch McConnell just to
1: remind everybody we had a vacancy Scalia had died there was a vacancy at least a year before the November two, 2016 presidential mm-hmm. election Barack Obama was the president a Democrat right. he proposed that uh, Merrick Garland be fill the vacancy and Mitch McConnell would not even uh, give him a hearing on the grounds that, uh, that and this is why I say folks you keep find somebody to make up any argument at any given time that the people should speak The people should be allowed to speak and have a referendum right uh and by the way literally i'm just throwing this out there terry if you do a referendum by sheer majority the people spoke yeah, And they voted for Hillary Clinton right. over uh, Donald Trump. Don't get me started. Well, yeah. don't get me. I was the one who said <laughs> Electoral College, oh, get rid I know. of it. I know. Uh, that was part of my deal. I'll sign on to yeah. that Fair Map Commission yeah. if you get rid of the Electoral College. Yeah. Right, right. Um, all right. So, hey, I'm sticking st- yeah. hard no, to No, no,
3: you're doing your job. Uh, yeah. And, uh, but uh, yeah, so Merrick Garland um, could have been. Well, came have cool. you heard Moscow Mitch's new rationale for why, if a, an appointment comes up before the November election, that if <laughs> The difference is because Republicans control the White House and the Senate that they that that was the reason why it should happen. The reason why they didn't do it because it was a split between. That is a a distinction without meaning. Exactly. Because the basic referendum is still a basic
1: referendum. Right, right, exactly. uh, You know, but uh, yeah, that's what I said. They'll say absolutely anything. It's like Scott Walker going to court to defeat a fair map commission that the voters approved in Michigan. Follow me, folks, one more time. He's in court trying to defeat uh, an initiative. Filed a federal lawsuit. File a federal lawsuit while Peter Breen in the state of Illinois is, hey, Hey, let's have a referendum on a fair map commission. I'm like, which one is it, Pete? You know, all are right. you guys, are you for it only when it's Democrats, uh, who are in charge? You know, is that, and yes, the answer is obviously, right. yes. by the way, while I was you catching the hot seat. I want to throw something out at you that uh, one of our, uh, uh, guests had to say, and that is this, this had to do with the Merrick Garland situation. put on your yes. political strategist hat. Okay. And, um, I know this is ancient history and you only want to look ahead. Okay. we got all that taken care of now. Uh, A strategist who came on the show said that Barack Obama made a mistake by appointing Merrick Garland. Not that he wasn't qualified. He was eminently qualified. Put that to the side. But politically speaking, Barack Obama figured what I'll do is I'll get sort of a mainstream uh, uh, jurist that moderates could not object to on ideological grounds and put him up. And uh, the Republicans will have to go along because ideologically speaking, uh, he'll be more in line with Republicans. And uh, David Ferris, who's a political scientist, comes on the show all the time, said that was a a mistake. He should have taken a fierce ideologue, preferably a black woman, Put her up there and let the chips fall them they Fire up the Democratic base. This is someone you could support, just like the Republicans did with right. Kavanaugh. Right. They never pull their punches. Right. They put Kavanaugh right. out there, yeah. who's just a, a a political hitman for the Republican Party. You know that as right. well as I do. Right. So, what's your thoughts on I, that? You
3: know, I could see that. I could see that argument. You know, I. You know, it. And let let me just say this in retrospect: it's always easy. Uh, Monday morning quarterback to be a Monday morning quarterback. So, I mean, the reality is uh, we thought that Hillary Clinton was going to win the election. Uh, And, uh, and I think, you know, I think a lot of people were involved in that decision advising president Obama and he thought he was doing the right thing. So, uh, but I can see that point of view that it would have fired up the base. It would have, it would have, um, um,
1: I mean, it's one thing to go into the- Especially
3: when you consider there were 77,000 votes that were 84,000 that made the difference in the election. You could certainly make the argument that had he he tried to appoint a fierce African-American woman, that that would have revved up the base. And so I could see it. I can definitely see it. But again- Monday morning, Monday morning quarterbacking. Quarterbacking. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah everything.
1: Uh, Monroe Anderson, who comes to the show, always says uh, it was the perfect storm that led to Donald Trump's uh, electoral college victory. Uh, and that was one aspect. Yeah, yeah. Of there the are many storm. aspects of it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Now, what other legislative races do you want to highlight? Any, any other legislative races? I've heard about that the Democrats are hoping to take uh, back take Jeannie Ives'
3: seat into Page County, her old seat. Any right. truth to that rumor? Yeah, yeah. There is, I mean, the, um, the, the twenty eighteen race, the, the Democrat um, came very, very close to winning that race, and uh, there is there's search for a candidate who can uh, who can do it. Yeah, this time around. Yeah, that would be yeah. amazing, wouldn't it? Yeah. Well, when you look at what's happening in DuPage County and a lot of these suburban districts, it's not too uh, it's it's not far off the mark. I mean, they're just so alienating women and you know moderate people um, across the board. And, you know, Jeannie Ives is back. You know, that's the... the that is I,
1: right. I forgot that. She's yeah. running in the uh, 14th Congressional? Do I yeah, have that yeah. right?
3: Yeah, for the Lauren Underwood seat. For the Lauren yeah. Underwood yeah. seat. Yeah. Uh, no, no, Sean Caston. I'm sorry. It's Sean Caston.
1: I... You no, know, it, it's Sean Caston. She, she's running yeah. against... You know mm-hmm. what? I... Yeah. I'm momentarily blanking no, on no, this one.
3: I made a mistake. It's Sean Cassidy. She's running against Sean yeah.
1: Cassidy. All right. Uh, my next guest, Delmarie Cobb, has arrived in the building. So before I let you go, Terry, I'm going to put you on the hot seat one more time. Uh, is there anybody that you're favoring
3: for the presidential nomination, or are you just sitting back and enjoying the show? Um, here's what I'd like to do. I'd <laughs> like to tell you what my point of view is on this and not have you interrupt me until I'm done. Oh, uh, respond. No, okay. no. Because I Terry Castro. No, no, no. Because I have a very... Very clear perspective on this. Go ahead. So let me let me get to your question, but I'm going to back into All it. All right, here we go. On June 7th at 10 p.m. 2016, California time, Hillary Clinton was the Democratic nominee for president. She went to the convention. She That whole time between June 7th and that convention, she was harassed. She was criticized when she was the nominee. And when she gave her acceptance speech at the convention, 500 Bernie Sanders people got up and walked out on her and tried to humiliate her. And that went all the way through the November election. And anyone that did not support fully Hillary Clinton from 10 p.m. June 7th, California time, 2016, owns Donald Trump right now. We are now looking at the 2020 election. There are several candidates running for president that I don't particularly like. I am not going to say a bad thing about any of them because like in 2016, like in 2020, I don't care if it's a lobotomized (laughs) fruit fly that's a democratic nominee. No, we had a moral responsibility in 2016 to defeat this monster. We have a moral responsibility in 2020 to save this planet, to save reproductive rights, to save this world from this monster. So I am not going to sit here and criticize a single one of the people running for the presidential race right now. All I know is when that Democratic convention takes place in the city of Milwaukee next year, every single person who cares one iota about the future of our democracy and of the world should get behind that candidate. And I don't care if it's a lobotomized flu. <laughs> okay, we have a moral responsibility. Opposition. So that is my, uh, you know what? That is my view on this. And I swear, I if if I hear anyone criticize whoever the nominee is, my head will explode because we have a moral responsibility to defeat Donald Trump, and that is it. That's the final thing here. All I can say is touche. That's all I could say. Oh, well, tell me your thoughts about uh, Pete Buttigieg. Oh,
1: he's not. I don't have to waste my time talking about Pete <laughs> yeah. Buttigieg because he is at less than 1% among black voters in this country. Less than 1%, so he's not going to be the nominee. But if Pete Buttigieg was the yeah, nominee, let's
3: get I got my, my Mayor point. Pete T-shirt let's, right here and I'd be wearing let's it. Let's talk <laughs> about what really matters. Yeah. If we are going to sit and fight and criticize and tear down the... The lobotomized fly or better <laughs> that comes out of the Democratic primary, then we are then we are fools because uh, all we're doing is handling the election of Donald Trump. And if that's what people want to do, fine. That go ahead and do it. But you know what? You're destroying this planet. Yeah. All right. That is Terry Cosgrove from
1: Personal Pack. Del Marie Cobb is on deck, ready to come on T C. It's a blast talking to you as yeah. always. I think I got you booked already for yeah. September. So Absolutely. Uh, we'll I'll be see back. You then. Yeah. I, w- I will take a break and bring on Del Marie Cobb after this. At Chicagoland Cremation Options, we are committed to listening, educating, and guiding your family through the cremation process. Whether it is time of death or when planning your wishes for the future, Chicagoland Cremation Options can accommodate you at an affordable price and with great dignity. Avoid funeral home costs with direct access to a crematory for a cremation. Chicagoland Cremation Options, just south of O'Hare, five minutes west of Chicago. It's a family owned business and operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Visit it at Chicagoland Cremation Options.com. One more time Chicagoland Cremation Options.com.
2: Attention Chicago innovators and creators, 2019 Chicago Ideas Week is coming soon. October 12th through the 17th, this annual Ideas Festival is back, and it's the largest, most affordable Ideas Festival of its kind. They bring in hundreds of thought leaders from around the globe and some local to share ideas and spark action all across Chicago. To get a better idea of what to expect, here's a bit of audio from last year's Chicago Ideas Week with special guest and Chicago comedian Hannibal Burris. The
1: real reason I came home is just because I was trapped traveling a lot anyway. I wasn't in New York that much and I don't have a full time job in New York. I work a lot but I'm not in New York. So it was just like I don't I don't need to be here anymore and and also I just wanted to work on different stuff here in Chicago so I have this center that I'm working on on the west side Melvina Mastermind, it's going to be arts and and then a tech program and after school programming for uh, kids in in the North Austin area so just wanted to be back, there we go
2: October 12th through the 17th it's 2019 Chicago Ideas Week, tickets go on sale to members on August 22nd and to general public September 10th, once again if you're an innovator or creator in the city of Chicago or even outside the city You must join us for Chicago Ideas Week, October 12th through the 17th. For tickets and event information, head to ChicagoIdeas.com. That's ChicagoIdeas.com, and we hope to see you October 12th through the 17th. Ready, set, 2020. What's that mean? That means it's almost football season, which means that the best sports reporters in Chicago want to offer you, yes, you, our listeners, an exclusive deal on unlimited digital access to all of the stories that you love. Do not miss a game this season. Get all the big play scores and stories from the Chicago Sun-Times. For a limited time only, you, Y-O-U, can test out digital access for only $1. Seriously, $1. There's no reason to not give this a shot Stay up to date on breaking stories, get the deep dives and investigations from SunTimes reporters, cheer for the big games with the best sports team in the city, and go deep inside City Hall with best in-class political reporting. One dollar, one dollar, I say, for your first month, and you can't do better than that. Take advantage of this exclusive deal now at SunTimes.com forward slash Ben. And hey, speaking of Ben,
1: welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Terry Cosgrove has left the studio, but Delmarie Cobb ha- has entered the studio. Delmarie Cobb, legendary political strategist in this town. And uh, folks, I wish we had the mics on for the exchange <laughs> uh, when Delmarie walked in and Terry walked out because the conversation <laughs> kept going, Delmarie. Uh, it was uh, quite heated. Welcome. First of all, welcome back to the show.
0: Thank you very
1: much. And uh, I mainly wanted to talk Talk to you about Lori Lightfoot's uh, speech, mm-hmm. but I'm so fired up from what Terry closed. And you were listening to what t- Terry's closing comments on the divisions uh, in the Democratic Party in uh, 2016. And people say, Ben, why do you keep bringing this up? Well, I'll tell you why. And then I want your reaction. I believe that Democrats, so many Democrats are failing to recognize that they were manipulated and they were manipulated to a large degree by republican political operatives and president putin okay because those emails that the that the russian hackers took out of the Democratic computers and then dumped on the world for everybody to see, exposed all the rifts, behind the scene rifts between the Hillary people and the Bernie people. And you know as well as I do, Del Marie, that if those Russian hackers had taken Bernie's emails, they had found emails trashing the hell out of hillary clinton people do you get what i'm saying exactly. it was a, con- a heated primary people say all kinds of things in a heated primary they say stuff right here in the open when they come on my show and they're fighting it's even going to be worse but those bernie sanders people who are crying over those emails i've never really understood how they could hold a grudge for so long please explain that to me
0: well you know i found it amazing as well because again I was with Hillary in 2008. I was I was with her at the convention. I was a delegate. And I was there when she called all of her delegates in the room and said, against everybody yelling and screaming and saying no, you've got to support Barack Obama. He's our nominee. Mm-hmm. And to make sure that there was peace and unity, they had, if you remember... Hillary Clinton make the nominating speech that took Barack Obama over the top. Mm -hmm. Because, of course, when they came to the convention, neither one of them had enough delegates to become the nominee. The same thing when I was with Jackson in 1988. Jesse Jackson. Jesse Jackson, when he ran in 1988. Two thousand of his delegates got in a room and screamed and yelled because they wanted him to take the fight to the floor Mm -hmm. to be the vice president. He said no. He decided to a no a no against all the protests. And he said we have to have unity. And so when you get to that part in the race, you can fight like hell leading up to the convention. Mm-hmm. But when you get to the convention, you have to put your ego to the side and put the good of the party to the forefront and say, this is where I am, this is what I'm going to do, yes, they may. this person may not be my number one choice, but this is who the nominee is, and we've got to get behind that person,
1: regardless of who it is. I agree with you, and by the way, I, I want to point out, I was a Bernie person in 20s, I voted for Bernie over Hillary Clinton, but it never dawned on me that I would not vote for Hillary Clinton, that just never dawned on me you know
0: and people were just so immature I mean because I mean I think that was my fifth convention um, in 2016 and it was the first one where I saw that kind of behavior I mean it was just complete immaturity people sitting there pouting and yelling and stop the fracking and as you heard me say to Terry um, every time a black person of note got up on the stage to speak the mayor of Flint, Michigan, who we had deaths because of lead in the water. Mm-hmm. She's talking and Bernie's people are yelling, stop the fracking, stop the fracking, stop the fracking. Elijah Cumming, who's now a hero, who they didn't know in 2016. Congressman, yeah. yeah, they didn't know him in 2016. He's standing up there speaking. They're yelling, stop the fracking, stop the fracking. In the big scheme of things, what the hell does fracking have to do with people dying? Little kids dying in Flint. And so the next morning, I said something because we were trying to be unified. So we had a Bernie person working with us. And I took him to the side and said, you know what you keep doing? And he he hadn't even noticed it. He was a young guy. He hadn't noticed it. And I mentioned it to him. I said, you all have got to stop. And then you wonder why black people didn't support you? You don't even care about black issues because every time somebody black gets up there to speak you're talking about fracking.
1: What was his response? And he just sort of looked have at him. Habit a habit <laughs> <laughs> Tell Marie Cobb too tough on me. Uh, no, it's listen, it's always hard to be a democrat. Uh, there's Wide ideological gaps. I know that because everybody trots through this show. I always say, <laughs> Delmarie, I got everybody on the right—my my Joe Biden friends—and everybody to the left of them. And so I know about the ideological uh, gap in the Democratic Party. I realize that. And then on top of that, there's a racial issue. Well, it's really hard in this country for white and black people to figure things out. You're putting them in one. Republicans don't have to worry about that. There aren't any black people except for a few confused ones. All right, so. Uh, the democrats have to deal with the racial issues and those are really tough to deal with there's you're talking about 600 years of 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 issues there you know what i'm saying so i realize these are challenges but man it's just, it's very frustrating uh, when i when 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 uh, terry went on that riff there at the end there i just brought back a lot of memories
0: no me. it is frustrating because i mean and it was and as a, as a woman as a black person as a person who supported hillary uh, to see the way the media and then even now to hear every time there's a reference it's she didn't do she didn't go to the states she didn't do what she was supposed to do as i said no she did not run a good campaign if she had run the campaign in 2016 that she ran in 2008 she might be the nominee now okay. i mean she might be the president now but no she didn't but she lost by 70,000 votes of three states.:
1: She lost the electoral college. I yes. Say.
0: Exactly. Mm-hmm. By 70,000 votes, she, of course she won the popular vote, but that's not how you become president in this country. Well, so she lost by 70,000 votes in the electoral college. But the bottom line is, mm-hmm. everybody was complicit in, to some degree to her loss, because the media, there was this era of inevitability, and she was never inevitable. And, and that's why even I was dealing with the party. And yelling and screaming because I could tell there was this air of, you know, we're already picking out the furniture. <laughs> and I'm like, no, 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 yeah. you can't pick out the furniture till you win. Yeah. And I've seen that so many times because I've worked so many campaigns where that's happened. And every time that happens, you lose. Yeah.
1: Uh, all right, since we're on national, before we get to Lori, I know we we're supposed to talk Lori, we'll get to Lori, uh, but let's just keep it national for a while. And I was just uh, alluding to uh, the racial issues in the Democratic Party, trying to get black and white people. Uh, Can we just get along, as they say? Uh, mayor Pete yeah, came to Chicago. Yeah, if you would
0: acknowledge our issues. Yeah. A
1: lot harder for a lot of people to do. Uh, mayor Pete came to Chicago, uh, the the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. It's going to have a rally uh, on the south side of Chicago. He was going to address issues of importance the the black community. Uh he has a plan named after Frederick Douglass. How about that? The poor man's been dead for years and they're still using his name on plans. Uh, and uh lo and behold, almost everybody in the audience was white. What's going on?
0: Well, let me say, yeah. Ben, first of all, it was almost next door to my house.
1: That's right. Mm-hmm.
0: And I didn't know about it. So if I didn't know about it, and it was next door to my house who did you call (laughs) is what I was wondering when I read about it. I'm like, well, who did you call? Mm -hmm. Because I've had Kristen Gillenbrand's people calling me since day one. Mm -hmm. I don't know how they got my name, but I mean, literally they've been emailing me and calling me and inviting me to things. So who are you, you know, who are you reaching out to in the black community Mm -hmm. that you don't have anybody black in the audience, except your one or two people that you hired. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, no it was uh, it, it, it showed something uh, and, uh, that said I still would vote for Mayor Pete over uh, oh, Donald sure. Trump in a Oh any time. Uh, sorry about that Henry Davis. Henry Davis a frequent guest in the show. He's a councilman at South Bend and very critical of uh, well, Mayor I
0: was Pete. a reporter in South Bend. For two years,
1: I did not know. Yeah,
0: that. Yeah, I was on WSBT
1: back in the day. That's
0: when I started oh, Channel Twenty Two.
1: I did not know that. Yes. Um, all right, and uh, so are you. Before we completely leave the uh, the presidential race, I've got to ask you a Joe Biden question. Uh, Joe Biden remains very popular among Black voters, and polls. And I, I understand polls. Can dissipate. They they go day to day, etc., etc., and so forth. Help help me understand that uh, the popularity that Joe Biden has.
0: Well, I really think it's about familiarity more than anything. I mean, and that's where a lot of Hillary's support came from was because, because people knew her, but I knew her in a different way. I mean. For Biden is because he's been around. I was a reporter and stuff, Mm -hmm. and so since he's been around a long time, they know him. Plus, he was uh, Barack Obama's vice president, and and so he comes in with a distinct advantage over everybody else. Now, as as you said, as the field narrows and there are fewer people, and you begin to make more of a distinction between the candidates and they begin to break out, you might see a change. It may be that the black community sticks with him all the way to the end because they know him and they trust him that he'll do the right thing. But the bottom line is, it really is about who has the best plan for the black community in terms of how to distinguish yourself in this
1: race. And who's your sense? Who has the best plan right now?
0: Well, I think there's everybody's still uh, figuring it out. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're hearing some plans. Um, I've heard uh, Kamala Harris, of course. I think you know, of course, she inherently has a plan. Uh, Cory Booker, and I think Elizabeth Warren, and so, and and Joe Biden. If I was going to say my top four, those would be my top four.
1: Did I hear Bernie Sanders on that list? No, you didn't. Okay. <laughs> uh, <and then laughs> some people Who has have... no history with the black community. Uh, I saw. I was just about to say before uh, you interrupted me there, uh, Delmarie. Uh, some people have not completely gotten over the 2016 presidential election. We'll leave it at that, uh, Delmarie Cobb. We're going to take a brief break, and then we're going to switch things to local. Love to get your thoughts on Lori Lightfoot, how she's doing after 100 days, uh, and also her budget speech excuse me it's not a budget speech her state of the city speech yesterday's so we'll be right back with the great Marie Cobb after this
2: Today's Ben Jaromsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Get to know your city on one of Chicago Architecture Center's 65 walking tours. Hear the unforgettable secrets and stories behind Chicago architecture from our expert docents. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a tour right now. Oh wow, look at that building. Get a special discount for Illinois residents from July 15th to August 15th. All Illinois residents get 50% off select walking tours. Visit architecture.org slash il-resident. Today's Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you in part by Green Element Resale. It's located at 6241 North Broadway in Chicago. And people, it is amazing. Just listen to these items they have. Antiques, furniture, chairs, appliances, lamps, books. In fact, I'm looking at some of the books they have right now at Green Element Resell. Listen to this, alien identities. Whoa, that sounds like something Ben may read. Alien identities. Now uh, we got a Tom Wolf book, the right
1: stuff. Oh, yeah. uh, oh, you know that one? Oh yeah, it's about the astronauts. It's about
2: the, the astronauts right and alien Identities. Guys, get both of them. Get a uh, outer space combo at Green Element Resale. They have books. I'm looking at entertainment centers right now. Tons of stuff at this Green Element Resale, 6241 North Broadway, and find more information at GreenElementResale.com. And hey. If you're ever on a Broadway between Grandville and Devon, stop into Green Element Resale and tell them thank you because they're the only thrift shop that supports the Ben Jarofsky Show. It's Green Element Resale. Go there and save tons, and I mean tons, of money. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Ben take
1: us to the weekend. Will do. Delmarie Cobb is our guest. Indeed, before we go back to Delmarie, you got some updates about the speech? I absolutely
2: uh, do. We went to the Benjurowski Show Facebook page to ask all of you your thoughts on last night's State of the City address. Not a budget address from Lori Lightfoot. I have your comments right here. And like I said, uh, we're going to go ahead and read your comments. First up, we will do... Okay, well, that's a curse word. We're not going to read Tim's comment. Watch your mouth, Tim. Uh, and Ann weighed in. Ann says, too little, too late for this person after seeing this uh, speech and says, I'm moving to a Southern state. The overall taxes and fees in Chicago increases and everything, but a pension forced me out of Illinois says, Ann. Uh Robin weighed in says the elephant in the room remains the TIF fund and the outrageous vote to fund Lincoln yards. We should sue the alderman who voted to fund for its malfeasance. Uh, our good friend Babbers weighed in. He has a, a very a detailed uh, thoughts on the, but or the state of the city address. Bab puts, we know our corporate Democratic mayors, Daly and Rahm, said hard choices meant giveaways to business and financial institutions, therefore leaving the middle and lower classes to fill deficits. Do, quote, progressive mayors know the real meaning of hard choices is sticking the bill to business and upper income bracket individuals? After all, the 28-year corporate Democratic experiment has been an abject Failure. A progressive mayor should stop making easy choices, gouging the middle and lower classes, and actually make hard choices as promised. Get that revenue from Ken Griffin, the Ricketts, Sterling Bay, Boeing, Uber, Lyft, LaSalle Street, etc.
1: It's my man. (laughs) More speaking of my
2: heart. More comments here. John Wade input eight hundred long. We're gonna have to smoke a lot of pot once it's legal and taxed. I mean, that's
1: hilarious. A lot of marijuana we consume to pay off those obligations
2: andrew says not many details on what is to be done people got all dressed up for nothing uh, I got an interesting <laughs> point there. Mark says, all we can do is wait and see. Let's see here. Beto. No, not Beto O'Rourke. Just regular Beto. Beto put straight shooter on who was to blame. Ramen Daly. And I think we have one more comment to read. Actually, no, we don't. Thank all you for right. those comments, everybody. Keep them coming. At Benny J. Show. B-E-N-N-Y. The letter J. Show.
1: Love those comments. Let's get some from Delmarie Cobb now. What's your general impression of the speech?
2: Well, I mean... Sort of what your uh, other
0: listeners are saying. Uh, the bottom line is, when you look at where we've spent money, we would have the money for the deficit. I mean, we've spent a billion dollars in police misconduct and uh, police abuse. Um, that's the eight hundred million dollars. We've we spent one point three billion for the uh, linking yards and. Project 78, that's your $800, and $800 million.
1: Actually, two, $1.3 billion for Lincoln Yards, $1.1 for 78 is committed, so it's $2.4 billion billion. together, exactly. just, just to point
3: that Exactly,
0: out. and you saw the article last week about why they rushed for the vote. Yeah. They rushed for the vote because soon they weren't going to meet the qualifications to receive a tiff mm-hmm. sub- subsidy. And again, if you use the theory of Without a TIF, there would be no Lincoln Yards, or there would be no Project 78, then there wouldn't have been a TIF, because we know that both Lincoln Yards and Project 78 could have built been built on their own by the developer, and the money that would have come out would help us to reduce this debt, mm-hmm. but instead we've got 23 years of keeping this property at the same value it is now. And that is absolutely ridiculous. And that is the first thing that this mayor did.
1: Yes, she did. And I just wrote a column chastising her for that. Uh, it will actually, just to correct it briefly, when that vote went down, those tiff, two TIF deal votes went down, Del Marie, that was the last act of the Chicago City Council under Mayor Rahms. Exactly regime. Mayor, it was a mayor-elect Lori Lightfoot uh, at the time, and she had campaigned on her, uh, a, a, a an opposition to both tiffs, particularly Lincoln Yards. And she sort of looked the other way and allowed the vote to happen. Uh, and so she kind of wanted the best of both worlds. Well,
0: it was politics. Explain I mean, that. <laughs> well, if you're going to lose anyway, you want to ha- put a good face on it. And so, in essence, the vote was going to happen. And so, at least let me put my spin on it if the vote is going to take place anyway before I get in office. And that way, I can save face and make it look as though I really did something to save it. Um, I would have just, if that was my first act, eh, I just would have jumped and screamed and hollered and yelled and laid out on the floor and stopped everything. I,
1: I agree. I do not believe. I do not believe and feel free to vigorously disagree with me if you want to, Delmarie. I do not believe that if Lori Lightfoot, mayor like Lori Lightfoot, who had just been the recipient of 75% of the vote, had declared to the world in uh, on the eve of that vote if she had declared to the world, "You just elected me mayor of the city of Chicago," I do not know what stresses and strains these two tiffs are going to put on our budget, and so therefore, I am asking the Chicago City Council to hold off on this vote and to I can have my people take a look at the impact that these TIFs would have on the budget. I do not believe had she forcefully declared that that the city council would have voted against her i do not believe that uh and i know there are some people in the lori lifewood campaign camp who tell me ben no you're wrong the city council even if she had made that firm declaration would have voted for those tiffs against her i don't believe that but having said that i still would have if you're gonna lose you're gonna lose standing up for the right thing what do you think
0: well you're not you're the mayor elect so you got four years so what if you lose just go out doing the right thing. Just say, I'm, this is what I'm going to do. And the other part about that, that would have put the aldermen on notice. Instead of standing up there on Inauguration Day, putting them on notice about um, um, automatic prerogative, I would have been putting them on notice about $2.4 billion that we're giving to p- private developers to become richer than they
1: already are. That is fair enough. <laughs> it's well <put>. I <laughs> thought about that one. You're right. You got to put them on notice on, on inauguration day, really put them on notice. And then they have to live with that and let it make it clear to the people, the city of Chicago that that's a tax hike. So those aldermen, you want to wear the, the mantle for that tax hike, you're going to have that tax hike. Uh, so my general cons- thought of the speech, it was more or less, I called it a punt. In other words, she was putting off until October, revealing whatever taxes, fines, fees and cuts she had. Do you agree with me on that?
0: No, I, I absolutely agree. It's a, It was really what we already know. We may not know exactly how the money sh- uh, broke out, mm-hmm. but we know that there was a deficit. We already know that. Um, we know that the previous mayor or mayors have not taken care of the budget. So this was her making an announcement to sort of put in place what might follow in terms of bad news. Mm-hmm. This is the bad news that may follow unless I get certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, but the bottom line is, you know, I mean, to, to put all your uh, stock in a casino, okay? to put all your stock in uh, marijuana, I mean, there are progressive, and you've heard me go on and on, there are progressive ways to raise money. I mean, one of the things that David Moore talked about when he became alderman, 17th Uh, ward alderman. uh, Seventeenth ward alderman. Uh, He became alderman in 2015, and one of the and he's and he has a he's an accountant, and so one of the first things he talked about when he became alderman was since Rahm Emanuel was bragging about we have 55 million new visitors to Chicago. Davis said, well, then let's add a dollar to $2 uh, fee to hotels. So not per night, but per stay. And by now, we would have about $500 million if we had done that when he proposed it for his first budget as alderman. That's just one. These are the things that are rejected. So the things that are rejected are the things that don't hurt everyday people. Because we want to make sure we don't hurt the tourists.
1: Well, let's talk about that uh, before we get into the, ca- the casino issue, because the, I know uh, I really want to address that the casino issue with you. We've talked about it in the past. But uh, when when the city rejects a suggestion uh, like the one that Alderman David Moore made, uh, what interests are, do you think are being served?
0: The corporate interests, as your as your listener said and in, in, on the Facebook page, the corporate interests. I'm not going to put a levy on my friends who own hotels because I don't want to hurt them. Like somebody won't stay who's coming to Chicago for two dollars a stay, mm-hmm. not a night, yeah. a stay. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a corporate interest. That's exactly correct. Do Do you have uh, the clip of of the casino part where Lori talked about casinos? Because I want to play that uh, for Delmarie and get her have a discussion on the casino issue. Absolutely, I do. Let's go ahead and hear that.
4: We are pursuing a Chicago casino that creates a dedicated revenue stream to pay for our pension cost. If we get the tax structure right. This will represent a structural solution to address long-term problems, not a one-time fix. Not only that, it will also create thousands of jobs, help fund the state's capital plan, and stop the flow of over $200 million in gaming revenue to Indiana. As an independent study made clear, Chicago and Springfield will need to work together to get the tax structure right and over in order to move this plan forward. Getting it right represents a win for both the city and our state, and there's no reason why we can't arrive at a solution. But we have to be honest with ourselves. If such an agreement isn't made, if we don't secure this casino and the revenue that it creates, we will then be forced to make painful choices on finding other revenue sources. And we all know what those are, the sources we desperately wish to avoid.
1: Okay, my read of that, Delmarie, and I've been around a while, my read of that is That what Lori is saying in so many words, uh, Mayor Lightfoot I should say, what Mayor Lightfoot is saying in in so many words is that if the state doesn't change the law governing the casino that comes to Chicago, so that it's more favorable to a a casino operator, uh, we won't get a casino, and as a result, we won't get the money we need to pay our bills, and as a result, we're either going to have to do layoffs. Uh, or we're going to have to raise other taxes. So my read of that, and I'm reading between the lines, is that she's asking essentially for the law to be changed to be more advantageous to a casino operator. Am I misreading that in your opinion?
0: Well, you know, for me, it's really about regressive versus progressive. And this is not the way to raise money for the city of Chicago. Um, It does nothing but hurt the people who need the help the most uh, because it is those communities that have the least that are always hedging their bets against the big payday. And I mean, and to show you how this corporate mentality, and I'm not saying her necessarily, but just how prevalent it is for Rahm Emanuel as he was leaving to say, Well, we can't put it near downtown and we can't put it near McCormick Place because when people come here to do business, we don't want them to be distracted. Now, we don't give a damn if you all lose, (laughs) lose every penny you have, those of you who live here. But we do not want the business people to be distracted because we want to make sure they come back and do more business. I mean, just that kind of mentality, it shows you that these people don't care anything about the people who live here. We are carrying the the bills for everybody else who comes to visit, who will never go to the neighborhoods and have no idea what the neighborhoods look like. All they know is Chicago is a beautiful place.
1: Uh, yeah, I uh, I hear what you're saying know that 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 contradiction, uh, and and <laughs> and that notion that somehow or other the casino might get in the way of a businessman going to a. a I, 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 i know a, to a convention i'm like huh <laughs> what, what's vegas all about uh yeah so i i get the feeling that um uh i've always felt that the casinos are a regressive form of taxation and the city should not be a dependent on a casino and i know you've been a big champion of uh, the south suburban airport which um I, has been talked about since the 90s. I don't know if there's any possibility that it'll ever be implemented soon. What impact- Well, we're closer. You think we're closer? We keep getting
0: closer. All
1: right, what impact do you think, let's say there was a South Suburban Airport, how would that help the city of Chicago?
0: Well, it helps the city of Chicago because it creates revenue. It creates revenue when people in the city of Chicago have jobs when they stay here instead of leave, when they invest in their homes, when they pay sales taxes, when they pay property taxes, when they buy big ticket items, all of those things help the city of Chicago. Mm -hmm. So if you don't do those things and you continue to do regressive forms of revenue, all you're doing is encouraging people to leave. And again, this is just simple math. I'm not a mathematic genius by any means, but simple math is if your bills continue to increase and the people who are paying the bills continues to decrease, then the people who are here have to pay more to cover the bills that continue to increase. That is simple math. So what would we do instead of that? We try to keep the people who are here keep them to stay, get them to stay, and we try to entice more people to come. Mm-hmm. But instead, we're driving jobs away. For instance, uh, and this it has to do with the South Suburban Airport. So Amazon has five fulfillment centers in Will County, in the South Suburbs. So instead of, and these are, I mean, thousands of people are working these jobs and they're making good money. And I hear From people who have taken tours of the fulfillment centers, there's a good number of African-Americans working at the fulfillment centers. But what does Amazon do because of Midway and O'Hare are at capacity? They just broke ground in Cincinnati for an airport where they can fly 100 new planes that they're buying Mm -hmm. out of Cincinnati as a hub. Now, you've got five fulfillment centers in the South Suburbs. Imagine if you had that airport. Where would you be flying the planes out of? Would you be going to Cincinnati yeah. or would you be going to Chicago? Who doesn't want to be in Chicago? And so instead, we've lost UPS to Louisville, they had a hub. We lost FedEx to Indianapolis when they opened their hub. We lost Delta to Cincinnati when they opened their hub because there was no place in at O'Hare. So, these are jobs we've actually lost because we're so entrenched at looking at craziness instead of looking at something that's actually going to be meaningful and provide jobs. How do you sit here and talk about we need something that deals with better education, and better jobs. But never talk about the South Suburban Airport, which addresses both of those.
1: Well, the reality is that every mayor the city of Chicago has had, since this has been an idea, has been uh, opposed to the South Suburban Airport. Uh, I can't recall ever hearing uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot address the issue, but my presumption would be that she, too, would be against it. could be wrong. She's
0: addressed it, but she says the same talking points yeah. that everybody else says, and that is, well, as long as it doesn't hurt midway. Yeah,
1: OK. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so uh, so when you say that we're a little further ahead toward that goal. What do you mean by that?
0: Well, 90% of the FAA approvals are complete. 90% of the land acquisition is complete. And then Governor Pritzker just appropriated $162 million for infrastructure improvements around the South Suburban Airport site. And so that really has taken us Very, very close because we have an existing airport out there, Bolt Field. Mm -hmm. And so it's not about building a new one. It's about expanding an
1: existing one. By the way, every time you come on the show and talk about this, I just want to let you know, people tell me, you know, I heard that lady on your show talking about that South Suburban airport. So it. I would like, I, I, my guess is that'll never happen in my lifetime, but there's more support out there for Delmarie than a lot of people realize, and that's what i Well, I'll,
0: Ben, I'm determined okay. it's going to happen in my lifetime. Okay, well, I hope you live a long lifetime.
1: So, uh, all right, now, uh, the final thing I want to talk... With you about before we break for the day is something you alluded to early and that is you said you know when we think about all the uh, the police brutality settlements over the the i don't know last 10 or 15 years or so that equals the deficit uh that i think it's like 800 million to a billion dollars in settlers, in settlements um what do you think that mayor lori lightfoot should do uh to what what do i say uh make it less likely that these kinds of suits will come out in the future, that we'll have better relations between uh, police and the community. What do you think are some, some uh, progressive steps she can take right now?
0: Well, I think that that's, you know, we have to make it a priority and that it um, we have to make sure that moving forward, these kinds of police misconduct and wrongdoing does not continue to happen. So that's the first thing. And part of what's missing which should be also one of the first things she does when she's hopefully in her budget, will be the civilian police monitor, which is that one piece that is still missing from what the Justice Department said needed to happen. And until we get this civilian police monitor uh, ordinance passed, so that we have people in the community monitoring the police, You know, there's this is not. Yes, there's a consent decree in effect, but it's like, you know, racism. You may change the laws, but you don't change people's hearts. And so the police may have a consent decree, but those who are going to do wrong are still going to do wrong because their hearts haven't changed. And so we have to make sure that we put the things in place to ensure that we do not continue to pay these kinds of outrageous amounts of money uh, for police misconduct, these rogue police. And also the idea that people have said, Well, then let the police get insurance so that they, you know, malpractice insurance so that they become responsible for their conduct. But whatever we have to do, we have to be creative because this cannot continue. Since 2004, we've paid almost a billion dollars.
1: I have not heard that one about the police get the insurance.
0: Yes, I've heard about, I've had people talk about that and it makes sense. I mean, that's what doctors do. And they're like, if they're going to be rogue police, then let them get insurance so that it comes out of the insurance money instead of coming out of the city
1: so that well, who would pay for the insurance the the, police. the individual police officer well, yes you know, I have to think about that one all week <laughs> i have not heard of that one uh i've heard of everything but i've not ever heard of that one an individual police officer would buy a policy then mm-hmm. To protect him or herself in the event that he or she uh, was found. Oh my God, that would cost a lot of money. If
0: well, we can see, or the police department would do it. We, but whatever, however, is done, Uh, it would have to be done in a way where it protects. The taxpayers. I,
1: well, okay, now let's think about this. Uh, I'm, I'm just following the, this out. If the police department did it, it still would be the taxpayers ultimately right. be paying for it. But your argument would be that a premium on such a policy would be less than the payout. Exactly. Over the exactly. course of us. Uh,
0: and, and there have been many people who have talked about it. I mean, I've heard a lot yeah. of people talking about it. And I think, you know, maybe that is a last resort. Because we've got to do something to make sure that this does not continue to happen.
1: Well, I can tell you this right now. If it was Mayor... Del Marie Cobb. One, the Lincoln Yard TIFF would not exist. Two, uh, the, all the money that was uh, dedicated for the Lincoln Yard TIFF and TIFF 78 would go to pay off the budget. And three, the police department would have insurance policies. <laughs> Mayor Del Cobb. Give Cobb the job. Yeah. Hey! <laughs> we Cobb got my the slogan. Gym, right? yeah, there you yeah. go. That's better than anything Jesse Jackson ever came up with. It rhymes and everything. Del Marie Cobb is my guess. There's anything you want people uh, to know about Del anything you're up to, any events you got going on before we break? Anything you want to
0: talk No, about? I don't have anything going on. It's just that we all know how important um, the census is. We all know how important the upcoming election is and that we have to make sure that we get as many people registered to vote as possible and people need to be counted because that, again, is how money is appropriated for the city and state.
1: All right, very good. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Delmar- Delmarie Kopp, good friend of the Ben Show, political strategist. Have her on. I'm going to bring her back If she will agree to it after the next round of debates, get your thoughts. Uh, We're going to the field will be down to 10. I think it is. I, think, I believe it's mm-hmm. 10, it'll yes. be one night debate only, so we'll get to see Biden on stage <laughs> with Sanders and Warren, and uh, it'll be very... It should uh, be interesting. It should be very interesting. Things are getting real exciting. Thank you so much, Marie Cobb. Also want to thank Terry Cosgrove. He did an outstanding job, and Ramon right. Hussein began the show. And of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy at Alton, Illinois, behind the, the board, Dr. D. You worked double time today. Several hats today. Mm-hmm. Many, many hats. Got here at <laughs> 7 in the morning to cut up Uh, Lori Lightfoot's speech. You did a great job. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Have a great weekend, everybody.
2: (laughs) And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and Benny J. bonus interviews at both Chicago Sun Times and Chicago Reader websites. Chicago.suntimes.com forward slash pages forward slash Jarofsky, ChicagoReader.com, and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. Downloaders, we live stream this program Tuesdays through Fridays, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time. Once again, both Chicago Sun Times and Chicago Reader websites. We Facebook live stream as well, and the Chicago Sun Times YouTube channel. Find us on facebook at benny j show b-e-n-n-y the letter j show that's also on twitter and the ben jarofsky show on instagram j-o-r-a v is in victory s-k-y enjoy your weekend we'll see you tuesday
4: yes that's billion with a b